I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1999 from a spacecraft full of whatevers here in 2020. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Nybart. And I'm Phyllis Gove. And joining us today from the Blank Check Podcast, returning guest, he was in The Tick. Um, I saw a great episode of Search Party with him. It's Griffin Newman. Hello. Uh, thank you guys for having me back. I have to ask right off the bat because I like to keep track <laughs> of how many times I've been on a podcast. If I'm on a podcast once, it's because I'm looking to eventually join the Five Timers Club. Now, the <laughs> last time I recorded with you guys, it was very long, and so it was released as two episodes. So I'm asking here, it, Kill Bill rule. Do we count this as two separate episodes? Is this my third appearance or my second appearance? Because it was recorded with the intention of it being one episode. We had this discussion. I'm going to let Kenny make the rule okay. on this. Okay, you did have this rule. discussion I'm, internally. I'm Thank a rules guy. Not about you. About sure. Emily Vanderwerf, because Am Emily Vanderwerf is our, our most frequent guest. Another one of the she, great talkers. Yes. The best. <laughs> yes. And she, and she was on uh, a Matrix episode that turned into a two-parter that I think the second part of it. Really? Emily had a lot to say about the Matrix? Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. Who, who, who yeah. I don't think I've ever no. seen her write about that movie. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> so um, she, I believe we decided to count this one. Okay, fair enough. Really? I, I think it should count as one, don't you, Phil? Look, I look, I'm fine with whatever ruling you guys make. I, I 
listen, I, my my feeling on this is whatever it takes to get Griffin to come back on this podcast as much as humanly the possible. The answer is one, is, then. Is as that, much as humanly possible means it's one. Sure. Well, and let's thank say you for also, joining us. Thank you for joining us for the second time. And we have a third episode <laughs> planned that we will be we recording do, we shortly. Do. I, we can tease that at we the do. end of this episode, right? Yeah. We will tease okay. it. Uh, yes. Great. Yes. Okay. It'll be great. So, yes. yes. Excited to be on for the second time. Yeah. Looking forward to my. <laughs> so great third to have you back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Griffin, you, you obviously you were on Screen Drafts. Mm. Uh, where you did a very short episode about the Muppets. Yes. It was really just sort of about the... the uh, it was, what, almost four hours long? I think it was about long, four hours, yeah. <laughs> Released um, as a one-parter, but yeah. Released as a one-parter. Um, in syndication, so, I'm hoping to break it up into four so I can get more residuals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but we wanted to bring you on for the shitty Muppet movie. We wanted yes. to bring you on for the one that... For, for the nadir of the, right. of the Muppets right. franchise. Right, because I'm sure I was... I was drafting all of the Muppets movies, and this barely even was referenced. This was not even part of consideration. And I, you talked more about Elmo in absolutely Grouchland a better film than you did about this. And look, I do, it's not that I, you know, I'm not here to just fully dogpile on this movie because I love the sure. Muppets enough that there are things I find interesting about this film. But I do think it is sure. It is. It is amongst the bottom rung of things ever made uh, involving the Muppets. It's, it's not only far and away, I think, the worst of the theatrical films, but I think there are a great many TV specials and such that are better than this. Um, oh, no question. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. Before, I've never seen this movie, but before mm. seeing this movie, yeah. I had a Muppets rule, which was if the Muppets are in it, I'm going to enjoy it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and, yes. and this movie broke me. This is a yeah. very, very bad movie. I think this is a very bad film. And I, yeah. I also, I, I will say my relationship to this movie has been odd because it came out, I'm, I'm 10 in 1999. So I was right at that threshold of like, I had been such a big Muppets kid. Uh, they were like my, my whole thing. Um, my, my mother, I was the oldest, uh, the first kid uh, my parents had. And my mother was very overprotective about uh, media stuff, which I think really uh, came back to bite her in the ass later. Um, <laughs> but um, it's yeah, the old snack drawer rule. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but so for whatever weird reason, um, she wouldn't let me watch almost anything modern. She thought everything modern was either too violent if it was an action-based thing, uh, any sort of superhero thing. Uh, or it was too uh, cynical, sarcastic, mm-hmm. if it was like a comedy-based thing. So all of the Nicktoons were out of the question, and the X-Men, and the Power Rangers, and the Ninja Turtles, and all these things that uh, you know only true 90s kids would understand. I was sort of like <laughs> on the outside looking in. And, and the two things I was allowed to watch carte blanche were Looney Tunes and the Muppets, which is funny because both of those yeah. are both uh, very cynical and very violent. There's a lot, of, a lot of cynical Looney, violence. Looney Tunes, I think, more than... Uh, I mean, than... Looney Tunes is like shooting yeah. Elmer Fudd in the face and then saying, like, ain't I a stinker? Like, it's like... Yeah. I don't understand why, but it, it was this thing, I think, if, like, if the thing had existed earlier than 1980, my mom viewed it as a classic, and then it was it was fine. Okay. You know? Um, and I watched a lot of older Hanna-Barbera in that same line as well. But, yeah, that's how we, we snuck Tom and Jerry past my wife, yes, who's much like right. your mom. Yes. But, you know, I have all these children. Sure. It, it, it stood the test of time. How bad right. can it be? 
Right. Yeah, and you have, you know, Jerry basically is constantly just kicking Tom the balls. That's what the yes. that's what yeah. the, the yeah. cartoon is. I mean, it's so. itchy and scratchy. Yeah. It's just slightly less violent. Barely less. Yeah. Barely. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? But so I was watching all of that stuff, which I think very much um, developed my entire personality and certainly my sense of humor. I think like, you know, 75% comes from <laughs> Looney Tunes and Muppets combined because uh, that was just my entire input so when this comes out and i'm 10 i'm at that stage where i am like am i too old to be excited for a muppet movie like do i not right i'm, I'm in my mind going do i not like the muppets anymore mm-hmm. and about a year or two later i double down and i go like fuck it i'm gonna be an adult muppet fan like i very clearly remember <laughs> being 12 <laughs> and going like i'm i'm just i'm throwing down the gauntlet now i'm gonna be one of those weird adults who cares too much about the muppet <laughs> But so this came at that point where I was, like, questioning it all. I remember there being a trailer that I saw before. I'm trying to think what movie it must have been. But I remember going to see some movie with my dad opening weekend that felt like me seeing a slightly grown-up movie uh, Mm -hmm. earlier that summer. Probably some May 99 release. Um, okay. I, I mean, you guys have either covered it or are going to cover it. I could look at the schedule and try to I figure mean, it's, out what it's, it was. it's definitely, it's a Sony movie, whatever it is. It's forces of nature. Sony, it's not Maybe Forces of nature. nature. No, the other thing, I remember it being yeah. the Union Square Theater, what is now the Regal okay. Union Square 14 at the yeah. time of the United Artists. I remember seeing the trailer and I remember it being okay. like an 8 or 9 p.m. screening on like a Friday night or Saturday night. It okay. felt special. My dad was taking me to see a movie in the evening. My little brother wasn't coming. And I was seeing more adult trailers and getting an adult reaction to everything. And the first teaser for Muppets from Space played. And the first teaser kind of felt like they were trying to sell it more to adults. And it got a really big response from the audience. And huh, I, lo- I looked it up to try to see <clears throat> what, it, what the trailer was. It's one of those fake out trailers where they try to make it seem like it's a very serious movie. So it's like mm-hmm. uh, high CGI footage of the planets and space and a very serious narrator saying like we don't know where they come from we don't know <laughs> what they how long they've been here you know whatever it is but like right. and then and then it goes like but the one thing we do know and it hard cuts to that that moment that's like Annie McDowell and Miss Piggy punching each other yeah correct and yeah. then there I have was a question about that fight when we get oh, to it sure then there were. I, I got a question about all of Miss Piggy's fights. Quite frankly, look, there are many questions about everything Miss Piggy does in this movie. <laughs> but it went. It went from that moment to maybe a couple random, like chaotic images, and then saying Muppets from Space. The trailer very short, but the thing I remember is at the very end of the teaser, they put the shot of when everyone's on the beach, and there's the woman with the bare yes, midriff. Yes. And Sam the yep. Eagle is looking at her and his jaw drops. So the teaser yep. was pretty much just these, <laughs> these shots of adults surrounded by Muppets on a beach. Yep. It looking yeah. like some sort of rave. And there's like a fist fight and then a Muppet leering at a scantily clad woman. And I was like, are they trying to make like the Muppet South Park movie? Like, are they trying to like square this circle because they know Muppets have fallen off with kids and trying to make the Muppet movie that's a little more hard-edged so i was kind well, of I wanna... into it at the time because i was like oh i'm gonna love seeing this because this will i cannot feel like a dork for wanting to go see a muppet movie. right 
Well, there's something I, I want to piggyback on that because it does feel there were some things that jumped out at me very early on as I was watching this. Um, and I was thinking less South Park, more Austin Powers. I, that's like you nailed it. That is what I think it actually they were trying like, to sell it, it feel, as. Yes. It feels yeah. a little bit like that sort of genre that they're trying to hit. And I and this is I want to pause this to you, uh, pause this to you, Griffin, because I don't know the Muppets as well as mm-hmm. you do. But they play in a lot of genres. That's kind of the yeah. point, right? There's a lot of like metatextuality of like deconstructing different genres and being very winky. Mm-hmm. But I don't think sci-fi really works for them. No, I don't. Like it's a genre that doesn't. Work I mean, oh boy, there's a lot I could get into here. Uh, I mean, so <laughs> so in order to dig into this, I need to I need to throw out my grand unifying theory of the Muppet franchise. Please, please, uh, please. which I, I've talked about most times. I've talked about the Muppets on podcast which is i'd say 75 percent of my appearances on other podcasts um and this to some people sounds like some pixar theory bullshit which i i say this i think the pixar theory is bullshit i think that kind of stuff where it's like we're gonna come up with an explanation for why all the pixar movies are in the same universe they're not they were not intended that way that's taking like sort of in jokey easter eggs and and treating them as very literal text in a way that goes against the actual movies. And you're distorting the actual stories of these movies so hard to make them fit into your, like, you know, your yeah. red string cork board. But by all <laughs> accounts, even though the Muppets play with a very loose mythology, this seems to be what Jim Henson intended. Okay. So the Muppets start out, you know, local television, commercials, late night TV appearances. He has 15, 20 years when he's developing these characters in different mediums, different appearances before they. This go is in the sixties, fifties and sixties, right? 50s and 60s, okay. Before you get to the Muppet Show, which is where everything really crystallizes. By that point, a lot of those characters are well known, but this is when he's really putting a frame around them because up until that point, it was like the Muppets. Are, you know, it's Rolf is going on the Ed Sullivan Show, or you know, it's Kermit selling coffee, or whatever it is. People are going to yell at me because both of those examples are wrong, but. That was the kind of stuff he was doing, right? And then the Muppet Show was the stream around it of, well, now we're building out a cast of characters. They exist with us in this world. They have their own theaters. They are entertainers. You know, they have their own sort of interior lives. It's not a puppet show. It's a show about puppets putting on a show, if that makes any sense. Right. So it becomes so much about, for me, um, I, I think the Muppets at that point were Jim Henson taking everything he felt about entertainers and about show business and about artists and about all that sort of shit um and from the people he had worked with and all the different stereotypes of different types of people in the entertainment industry and then the muppets when it came to the muppet show were really uh brought to life by him hiring a lot of kind of very um uh sort of borscht belty comedy writers right who helped develop the sensibility of the thing real kind of vaudeville guys uh like jerry jewel and, and everyone um so when the Muppet movies start happening, A, it's the big shift to we're going to have the Muppets existing in the real world. They've always existed on like a soundstage, you know? The Muppet show is they're in this theater. And when they're making other TV appearances, they're in a void or they're on a talk show on a set in front of an audience. And this is right. like the Muppets are going to be out on our streets. They're going to mm-hmm. be in nature. They're going to be in like human <laughs> restaurants, like, all this sort of shit. Right. And the first Muppet movie has this frame, the Muppet movie, which is it starts with everyone going to a back lot to see a screening of the Muppet movie. Mm -hmm. The Muppets are watching the movie that you have ostensibly just paid to see. Mm -hmm. 
And before there's like three layers to it, right? Yeah. There's like it's, it's crazy. <laughs> but so yes, the opening of the film is everyone pulling up to the lot, going into the private screening room, and Kermit's nephew Robin. Well, this is important. I promise for Muppets from Space. <laughs> He says, so is this how it really happened? Is this how all the Muppets got together? And Kermit says, yeah. kind of. So you understand the movie you're about to watch is ostensibly the movie the Muppets made to mythologize themselves. But it's not 100% accurate. It is. They are movie. unreliable narrators of their own history. Right. It's, yeah. their, and then, it's their Eight Mile. It's their absolutely. Get Richard Die Trying. It's their King of Satin Island. Uh, <laughs> their King of Satin Island, for instance. Yeah. So, so you're watching the film, <laughs> the projector breaks down a couple of times, you have further interjections from the screening room, and the movie ends with them making it to Hollywood, meeting uh, Lou Lord, played by Orson Welles, in the greatest one-line performance in the history of cinema, mm-hmm. who prepares the standard rich and famous contract for Kermit what a line and too. Friends. Yes. And so he gives them this multi-picture deal. And the end the of the movie is this musical number where you see the Muppets making the movie that you have just watched. They're now on a back lot recreating the events you just saw, which it was established was a fictional film because the Muppets themselves are watching this, but now we're watching them make the movie in the fictional movie that they're watching. And then the projector blows up and they're back at the screen. The common belief from people who take the Muppets too seriously is that every other Muppet movie from that point on is one of the movies that they made oh. under that contract. And I think they're obviously, it's not a group of characters that deals in, in sort of continuity, right? But, yeah. but I think it helps actually how you view the movies and how you rate their success because you go, that's the transition point. The Muppet movie is the transition point from the Muppets existing on TV, in the Muppet show, on the late night appearances to movies. And it's saying they are now a stock company of actors. They're going to make different entertainments for you. And they might play different characters. They might change what their backstory is. These are all just films that the Muppets are making for you, as if the Muppets are the Marx Brothers, where sometimes mm-hmm. they have their own names and sometimes they don't, mm-hmm. you know? And sometimes they're brothers and sometimes they're not. Like, so Great Muppet Caper starts with a song that's, hey, a movie. They're announcing that it's a movie. And then they mm-hmm. say, we're the Muppets. I'm now a reporter. He's a photographer. He's a reporter. Kermit and Fozzie are brothers. Like, they just change all the rules. Kermit meets Piggy this, and this also ex- explains why this movie feels like a contractual obligation. Thank you. And that's why we need to talk about <laughs> I need to talk about all of these things. Right. So those are the three that Jim Henson is alive to see. is a Muppet movie, Great Muppet Caper, right. Muppet Take Manhattan, right. all three of which create different uh, narratives for how the Muppets met and got together. They recast them in different ways, even though they're all playing themselves ostensibly, mm-hmm. but in different mm-hmm. genres. Uh then Jim Henson dies, and, and the company starts floundering a little bit, uh, more than a little bit. And Brian Henson takes over. And Brian Henson, uh, good puppeteer, good performer in his own right, but very much seems like someone who uh, stepped up to the plate of someone needed to take over this. And I think he perhaps might have had a very different career if his father had lived longer. Um, but he directs the next two movies, uh, Treasure the, the Island Hen- and Christmas Carol. I'm sure you know m- more about the Henson family too, right? There, it's a, it's not. He, he's one of five, right, Brian? Yes, yes. And, and almost all of them just, went into the family business. And I believe now it's run another. by one of his daughters because they've kind of kicked Brian out. Yes. So now I think it's more directly run by Lisa Henson. I believe yeah, it is. That's right. Who, for a very, for a period of time, 
was, I believe, the head of production at Columbia Pictures, which resulted in really? this movie and Elmo and Grouchland. I'll get back to that in a second. I'll get back to that in a second. But so Brian is pushed into the driver's seat at this point in time. Brian later goes on to like uh, help create things like Farscape. uh, And it feels like that's maybe more of what he would have done if left to his own devices. But he's in the Mm -hmm, position of mm -hmm. you need to keep these characters alive. So they do the two storybook adaptations. They do the movies where the Muppets are literally playing other characters in pre-existing texts. And they're more heightened and stylized. And people criticize them and go, that's not what I want to see. I want to see the Muppets being the Muppets. And I go, I think this is the Muppets being the Muppets because this is like the Muppets summer stock. This is like the Muppets doing their production. It all works for me. And I think both of those films are good. Um, But they, they, Treasure Island has a big drop off from Christmas Carol. Christmas Carol does well, but not incredibly well. And it was also just Disney's bar for success is so high. That deal falls apart. Lisa Henson's at Sony. They move over to Sony. And she gets these two films greenlit. I think it was very much, we've got to get, make two movies at the same time. Among Grouchland and Muppets from Space were filming, I believe, simultaneously on like yeah, parallel. Both in foundations. North Carolina. Yeah. There was some yep, weird yep. deal that she clearly helped orchestrate to be like, I want to give a lot of business to the Henson Company. Uh, which at that point was still uh, in charge of the Muppets and of the Sesame Street characters. They've now sold off both of those things. Disney owns Muppets outright. The Sesame Street characters are owned by uh, Children's Television Workshop outright, which has now just renamed itself Sesame Workshop. So Henson Company is just sort of the the tech side of things, their creature building, and then like Dark Crystal, Labyrinth, Fraggle Rock, all the other sort of appendix stuff. But so this movie comes at a point in time where they had done the Disney storybook thing, then that sort of hit an end of the road. They felt like they had to do something new with the characters. They had done the TV show Muppets Tonight, which I liked, which was them trying to do a modern Muppet show. I think was mm-hmm. pretty good. And yeah. the other thing that I think worked with Muppets tonight was for the first time they said, there's a turnaround happening. The old guard is starting to retire or die. We need to get these new younger puppeteers to create their own characters who they have some ownership over. So it's not just people doing impressions of other characters. Mm-hmm. So there's a mix. Mm-hmm. Muppets tonight had all the classics in it, but they're taking certain characters who had existed in smaller capacities, Rizzo, and Clifford are now getting up to like the main leagues and then introducing some entirely new characters like uh, Pepe, the King Prong and uh, Bobo the Bear. Uh, and I think Muppets from Space was A, trying to be like, we need a movie to really sell these new characters because we're banking on the next generation of Muppets to coexist on the Mount Rushmore along with the classics. We need there to be some refreshment. Yeah. And I think they also were like, the storybook thing is feeling kiddish. We need to make something uh it, that's that's wildly different so this yeah. there's the, the incredibly stupid decision we'll dig into to make the whole film uh not a musical but a lip sync musical uh, to fucking like brutal. 70s brutal. funk classics disc three um <laughs> like just like what what i think of is just classic 1990s birthday party music, like music, music. <laughs> right but like <laughs> funk music that had become so um homogenized and gentrified, gentrified. and uncool yeah, that, that it yeah. was what I would yep. hear at Chuck E. Cheese when I was eight, you know? Yeah. Like songs that yeah. now with some distance you listen to it, you're like, right, of course, these are good songs. But it, but at that <laughs> point in the late 90s, these songs were so fucking overplayed. 100%. Right. I, I want to I just jump in real quick and, and unpack just a little bit more of the Henson Company's Please. financial issues yeah. at the time. Uh, in December of 97, the Jim Henson Company landed a huge development deal with Sony, which might very well have been teed up by Lisa as far as All we know. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, 
where the Henson Company would develop up to 15 movies yeah. over five years, and the slate would cost pictures uh, north of $200 million, basically, financed, distributed by Sony. Mm-hmm. Only three movies materialized out of that deal. Was it these two and uh, Buddy? Was Buddy the third one? Okay. Buddy, yeah. Muppets from Space, and uh, Elmo and Greg. Because that was a big part um, of it. Like, things like Buddy, where they could be like, this isn't a Muppet movie. It isn't a Sesame Street movie. This is a live-action yeah. movie that Henson is producing from a yeah. story perspective. It fits into their wheelhouse. And also, there's some elements of creature stuff. Like, that movie is right. very realistic animals. Right. Uh, they also so then they had this Muppets Tonight, which was in '96. That's the last uh, Disney ABC. thing for a while. Right. Until ABC Disney canceled it. it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. right. So then, after the failure of most of their projects, the Jim Henson Company agrees to be sold off to a German media company called EM. Yeah, they the, for right. six. These are the dark for six hundred eighty million dollars. Yeah. For $680 million, EM then had major fiscal problems, and the Henson family bought back the company for $89 million. Yes. That's how bad that company was in final. It's a great right. short sale. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a great mm-hmm. short sale. Um, but this, I think, speaks to everything that we're talking about, which is like, they are not making decisions from the best creative place. They're making no. it more from a financial and is place. This, and that's never what Am I correct be. in thinking this is the last thing before they sell to the German company? Right. It's correct. right after this. This is when they throw their hands up and they're right. like, I don't fucking know. Yeah. Before yeah. we go on, I want to ask you a question, Griffin, that you may table. Mm-hmm. But do you have a theory? Because I want to keep going with this. So I don't want to yeah. take you too far off track. But why did the Muppets kind of fall off from um, – are you know from the late 80s yeah yeah to frankly they've never come back that's very clear to me but at, yeah, at least the same the level Jason no, right, no right. but you know so many properties have yeah um at the same level or higher obviously i yeah. think the trans- transformers are higher than they've ever been yeah maybe not right now but you know the reboot um why they never came back why they basically took a 20 year hiatus from not relevance because he never went away they just yes. stopped being... And they were still... Yes. I mean, here, here's my answer for you. I, I do have a concise answer. I, I think there's a fundamental misunderstanding of what the Muppets are, both as characters and as, like, a larger property, uh, both from audiences, from the people who greenlight these projects, and from very often the people who are developing these projects yeah. directly. And, and some of these things I like a lot, and some of them I like less, but I, I'm pretty accepting of most things in the Muppet can, and I try to find something to like to some degree um (laughs) i i think there's like you you have characters like the looney tunes and the mickey mouse characters for example right who have gone so far afield from what they originally were there was a gradual process of them sort of being watered down more and more and more until they just became corporate mascots that that they could stretch to use however they wanted and sometimes you get a nice good thing that comes out of it i think the current uh, Looney Tunes that are on HBO Max are probably the best Looney Tunes things that have been done uh, since Chuck Jones. Oh, wow, really? They're really good. Oh, I'm a okay. big fan. They, I'll check it I out. I think they finally got it right. And uh, the current uh, Mickey Mouse shorts that are now on the Disney Channel, I think, are really good. Now, I think they're these two things have something in common. brilliant. I think yes. they're the best. Kenny is all I, about right. Mickey's new I, shit. They're unbelievable. And Phil, so, I don't know if, you, if you've watched them yet, but they're unbelievable. And I'm, I'm hoping I haven't watched the Looney Tunes yet because it just hasn't happened. But I can't wait to watch those. I hope if you like the Mickey Mouse shorts, I think the it's best a things. very similar approach uh, yeah. back to basics in, in the right kind of way. 
but this, yes, okay, so this folds into all of that. Mm-hmm. They can eventually circle back to them. They can reuse them in these different ways, but that only comes after a point where you've stretched these characters into so many different directions that they can kind of mean anything, right? Um, yes. But the Muppets are closer to something yeah. like Monty Python. They are, for, for all intents and purposes, a troop. And I don't just mean that the characters are a troop, which they do function as, but also the people making them. I, I think so often because you're not seeing the human face as people talk about, oh, who's doing the voice for the Muppets? And they're not understanding that it's like you had like 10 puppeteers who were playing all these characters together for decades. They were developing these characters side by side. The relationships between the characters corresponded with the relationships between them. They were also helping building the puppets. They were doing the voices and they were doing the physicality. Uh, they were helping write it, the projects. And then when they brought outside writers on like Jerry Jewell, they were very much part of the family. They weren't just, you're hired to write a spec script. Yeah. They were, you know, you're the Muppets in-house writer. There was very much that sort of right. troop mentality. And so I think the second the troop starts falling apart, which it happens because Jim Henson dies, then Richard Hunt dies very shortly after, and then everyone starts to spread apart a little bit. Frank Oz goes more off into directing. They never understood that in order to keep the Muppets healthy, you had to build a new troupe. They needed to view it more like what happened after 1980 on Saturday Night Live. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. They needed to go like, let's look at the lessons of what didn't work and field test and trial and error until we find a new good ensemble. And I think part of that is finding the right people to take over the legacy characters. And part of that is letting people develop new characters, that there can be some new juice and excitement and personal stake. You can let those develop. And they've never really gotten to the place of doing that. Muppets Tonight was the closest they came to incubating that stuff again. And I think some good stuff came out of it. This movie is them trying to put a bunch of that stuff on the big screen and it doesn't work because they involved a lot of outside people and even the sequel movies which i like and the second one he had no participation in, by the way mm-hmm. uh but but the two modern disney films let's say um yeah. they were both outside writers nicholas stoller and siegel writing the film and then just giving the script to the puppeteers and saying here's the script you mm-hmm. know and even just walter which people complain about walter the new character is like, well, because that's a, a puppeteer didn't develop it. And that's the bones of the Muppets. It's hard to just treat the Muppets like it's Spider-Man and go, here's a new writer. He's going to do a 12-issue arc. Because so much but of would it you is also say that like the, 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 There's a specificity to the tone yes. that is, is, is so narrow a target, too. Yes. Like, I, I watched the Seagull, the Seagull Amy Adams uh, movie the other day, which I, I actually quite liked for what it is. Mm-hmm. It just feels tonally you know it's more flight of the concords than it is muppets and that's there's nothing wrong with that i i love for for the concords yeah but but the specificity of tone that the muppets have they couldn't even do with muppets from space let alone when you bring in an entirely new group well yes and i I I think a big part of it is that muppets the muppets were as characters and and in the tone this bridge between old classical razzle-dazzle Hollywood and countercultural right. new Hollywood. You know, they were very much like 70s countercultural figures, yeah. Yeah. but they were yeah. so entrenched comedically in like, like Milton Burrow routines. You know, there's this weird sort of like space they existed in that made so much sense for that moment and made a lot of sense to me when I was a kid watching them in the 90s, but also maybe it's because 
my brain was warped around that. Like that became my standard, you know? But I do uh-huh. think for a lot of kids, it's just like they don't even understand the things that the Muppets are riffing on to a certain degree, which is why I do think like making it more Flight of the Concords, I'm like, I'm fine with that because I don't think you're going to succeed trying to make what Jim would have made. Uh, right. And I, I think you need to bring new voices in there. But I think to your, you know, kind of original point, your unifying theory of the Muppets, which if I cut you, if I cut you off midstream, let's get back to it because it's wonderful. Um, <laughs> the the Muppet, the Jason Segel Muppet movie mm-hmm. is a kind of thing that bothers me to my core because sure. it exists. It exists in a nether world, right? It exists in a nether yeah. world where Kermit is the Kermit who in his world Great. Okay. is a star. Yes. You brought yet, me back. You brought me back. Yes. Or they, yeah. they are, yet they are trying <laughs> so, to wrap around. It's like, it's that moment in Matrix <laughs> Reloaded. Yes. When he stops the ship in, what's the, in Zion. Mm-hmm. That yep. should have led to everything being a Matrix, yes. but didn't. And then yep. took me out of it and said, what are you guys actually doing here? So I'm so glad you, you brought this up, Kenny. Okay, thank you. You got me back on track, actually. Okay, okay, please. So, so that's that's the big departure with those two movies. They are the first things in the Muppet canon since the Muppet Show to take place in the world of the Muppet Show, if that makes sense. So the well, idea well, is Muppet that the- tonight kind of did right. Oh, yes. It had a Larry enough. Sanders vibe, right? Fair so, enough. Yes. No, but that falls into that. But that's I think okay to me. That's okay to me. Yeah. Right. The The difference with the Siegel movies is mm-hmm. that they are, this is now not, you're right. I mean, look, it's it's telling a really, really tricky line. What the Muppet, the, the modern Disney Muppet movies are trying to do is those previous movies you've seen are movies that the Muppets made. This is now yeah. a movie about the Muppets who made movies. Yeah. Yeah. Let me that's tell you what, what it'd be like. That's what they're trying to say. It's like, it's like you previously were watching Mary Poppins and now this is saving Mr. Banks. So it that a... those two movies take place in a timeline <laughs> yeah. where the Muppets had a TV show, then made a series of movies that did well at the box office and then progressively fell off, then went through a fallow period, and now they're living in the fallout of Muppets from Space. Like... It, it, for the sequel movie to make any sense, it has to be <laughs> Muppets from Space happened 15 years ago. I have to make one more well, point. Can, can I, I have to make one more well, point about I, this. I have yes. to. I have to get okay. this info. Yeah. Okay. But I have this to is what, this is this is the, This is why it messes with my constitution. Yes. Everything you said. Mm-hmm. But what they, what they don't seem to realize that they're actually riffing on mm-hmm. are making of documentaries. Well, we, yes. Make, make, excuse me. Making of mockumentaries. Okay, so what what that action, what this, the logic that you're putting forth, which Mm -hmm. is accurate, I totally buy it, calls for a making of mockumentary, not a slick, produced, well lit feature film that exists in a world where a mockumentary would make sense. Okay, so within the population, (laughs) within the, the, you know, the court of public opinion, that movie did not do what they wanted it to do. It did I all right. It was a decent hit, but it did not bring back the Muppets in the way they were hoping it would. I think that movie was a very risky Hail Mary pass where they're doing a lot of things that nearly break the entire universe of the Muppets in order to try to reset back to them being characters that everyone understands again. And their Hail Mary pass is we've gone so far afield 
that we need to make a movie about what the Muppets mean to Muppets fans so we can have Muppet fans in the movie who have seen the other Muppet stuff mm-hmm. recalibrating the Muppet canon. Which, in a certain way, I feel like that movie isn't discussed enough as being <laughs> the first of what I now think has become a terrible trend, the give-it-back-to-the-fans reboot, reboot quote, if you will. Mm-hmm. The movie that's about characters living in the fallout <laughs> of the movies that we love, who are also fans of those movies. I have another right? point. Your your Force Awakens, your Ghostbusters Afterlife, this has now become the thing where it's like, the movie has to be not about bringing your favorite characters back. It has to be about making you feel good for being a fan of those characters. Because the heroes of the movie are now the people who love those characters. And what you're supposed to do is what you did, which is at some point in your life, suck it up, and acknowledge that you're going to be an adult fan. I remember the moment. For I don't me, need to be catered was, to. I'm a weirdo adult Muppet fan. I don't need I'm to be catered weird. to. I like I both remember, those movies, but I don't need to be sucked up to in that way. When I was when I was seven, eight, nine, I hit Little Mermaid and I hit Aladdin. I was fucking happy about it. Yeah. And then and then um, what was the one after? Fucking uh, Lion King comes out. Right. Lion King. Yeah. yeah. Lion King comes out and I shun it. Because I'm too fucking cool sure, to sure. go see a Disney movie. Right. And I missed the Lion King experience in the theater. Yeah. I felt so bad for myself. I said, you know what? I'm never going to do that again. I'm going to go see Pocahontas in the theater like yeah. a good, weird adult. Yeah. And I yeah. did it. And <laughs> right. I accepted it. I saw Hercules in the theater and all these horrible movies that, that came after it. Because yeah. I'm weird. And I don't, yeah. need, I don't need You got to own it. It's, it's that shit yeah. when people say like, uh, the Joker isn't a character for kids. Uh, the Joker's actually like a homicidal maniac. And it's like, <laughs> no, the Joker, the Joker is a character for kids. He was created in Batman. Oh, dude. Like he sold bubble gum. Like I understand yeah. that across eighty years there have been Joker stories told that are very violent sure. and are not mm-hmm. for children. There are a lot of them. But at his very essence, he was created as a comic book character, even if yeah, that was a dude. dark character. And when I see people who tweet these things where they're just like, um, yeah, you think Batman's for kids? If a kid saw Batman v Superman, he would cry. It's actually like very <laughs> intense. And I'm like, why do you need that? Why do you need that? Oh, there, there are violent yeah. comic book stories I like, and there are comic book stories I like that are so fucking goofballs McGillicuddy. And if you like comic books, you need to be comfortable with the fact that you're reading a thing that was intentionally created for children. You cannot ask the the property itself to make you feel better about it. You have to be comfortable with yourself and like whatever the fuck you like. You are talking to an adult wrestling fan, okay? And as (laughs) as an adult wrestling fan, I, (laughs) I had to at some point be comfortable with the fact that this is underwear fighting for babies. But but the work's on you. Good versus what's that? Yes, no, but it's like that's the thing. The work's on you. You gotta come to terms with it. The thing doesn't have to make you feel better. No, and you want to know what? Like once you come, once you same with superheroes, same with the Muppets, same with all the stuff. I like this shit. I'm a little boy. I love all this shit. shit. It's yes. the, it's the good versus evil. It's the simple motivations. Right. It's, it, it hopefully it's years and years and years of world building that yes. your little baby brain gets right. excited about. But it's not. I don't, dude. The, the the time I was out on wrestling was when it became glass fighting and firefighting and like right. all that shit extreme. that I'm like, who is this for? Go right. away. Can I, can, 
can I just? I got to jump in Please. for a Sorry, Phil. This I, is I just, I, I, no, don't apologize. Yeah. Don't apologize. Um, I, I just want to pivot back to uh, the the Seagull Muppets movie mm-hmm. for a second because I do think that it does. And feel I like, like them both. I want to restate. I like I, them I, both. I, I fine. Yeah, I I, I enjoyed yeah. them, but I do think that they're a fulcrum point. I do think they're sort of a fork in the road for the series, yeah. and and Lord knows what happens now. But what that movie was trying to do, it juggles a lot of knots, mm-hmm. and to its credit, it somehow keeps most of them in the yes. air in terms of tone, in terms of all the things it's trying to do. Um, but it is trying to reboot the series. It's a little too self-aware for its own good. In fact, uh, while promoting the Muppets movie, Kermit, while in Berlin, Germany, mm-hmm. promoting the film, Kermit on some radio station said, with all due respect to Muppets from Space, um, you don't want that to be your last movie ever. That's you so want to funny. do a better one? So I love that. <laughs> that is so Kermit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Kermit. <laughs> But it's it's like God bless them yeah. for trying to turn the page yeah. and also and, and also living in their own selves to your to you and Kenny's mm-hmm. point. Like this is Kermit being his true self yeah. and saying, like, yeah, we made a bad one. We're trying to make a better one. We're trying one. to come back. And and this is the yeah. the other thing is like not just trying to reset the characters, reset the stage, yeah. create a new entry point, you know, bring back adults who grew up with them get the new generation into them i mean that's what that movie is trying to do but the main function of that movie seems to be and siegel himself said this he was like my number one goal was if this movie works then that fall the next fall they put the muppet show on abc 8 p.m prime time and i think that is the explicit reason that movie takes place in the universe where the Muppets are the actors who have made all those previous films you've seen. Because he wants to get back to the iconography of the Red Curtain, them doing pop songs, like them having celebrity guests. Like, he wants to reset to that. And instead, they make another movie, which I think is better than the Seagull movie, the Muppets Most Wanted, which is Bobin and Stoller still, but Seagull has no Mm -hmm. participation. Um, I think that one's really good. But that one is in the same weird netherworld where it's like, well, now it's about them doing the Muppet Show touring across different countries, but it's still that iconography. But then they yep. still weren't doing the Muppet Show on ABC, and then they finally announced, oh, we're doing a new TV show. I went, thank God, thank God. This was all means to an end to get back to the TV show, the medium in which they probably work the best, variety sketch show. The one thing they could really fit into right now in the current climate, and instead they do the fucking, my least favorite Muppet thing ever made, The Muppets. Yes. <laughs> Lowercase the Muppets, period, which was the office meets. I mean, you said the Muppets tonight was Larry new, right? Yeah. right. I mean, it's like this yeah. is they they all work on a late night talk show and they're depressed and they hate it and it's a mockumentary. <laughs> it's none of the Muppets not, are wacky. The way, I'm they're punching for the a clock. Mockumentary. No, it's but awful. I know. No, I know it's you're not. It, yeah. But this is just like Fozzie turning to the camera and complaining about traffic on the 101, and I'm like this. Sucks. This is the fucking worst thing ever. And why are you going so far out of your way when when the thing is right there? Just have them doing sketches. And so it's like, you know, Gonzo is like the talent booker or whatever. And then Kermit's having an affair. It's brutal. Like, this stuff sucks. Well, and I that think- feels like that show feels like Muppets from Space Bullshit, where they're both it, it, half trying Muppets. to make them more adult and half being really childish. It is Muppets from yep. Space Bullshit. It's yeah. the same exact the same motivating strength. factor, yeah. which is we are not cool. Yes. What's cool right now? Sinister. In 1999, yeah, yeah. it was like, you, yeah. I mean, we say like, you know, Austin Powers. 
I felt like MTV Spring Break, right? Now I know that was like yes. six, seven years late, but that makes sense to me. Yeah. It's that Uncle yeah. it's yeah. that Uncle Sam uh, or Sam the Eagle scene you're talking about where I'm right. just like, what are we watching? Because th- it had that MTV vibe. It's very poochy to me. Yes. Um, same thing. Same thing with the with with trying to do the fucking office, right? Yeah. Like same yeah. thing. Yeah. Like trying to capture the zeitgeist when I I I think that they are just their own thing, um, which is why I'm yeah. so taken with these 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 Mickey cartoons. It's yes, the, well, because the they're getting the... back to just like you got to let the thing be the thing, and the thing the Mickey yeah. cartoons and the new Looney Tunes have in common is. For the first time with these characters in who knows how long, it's like the animators are writing them. It's this mm-hmm. thing that now has finally oh. come back into fashion because of Adventure Time and some of the other Cartoon Network shows yeah. where they're like, you don't have WGA writers or non-WGA writers. Right. People not from animation backgrounds writing scripts that then they're handing off to other people to animate. You have animators sitting in a room together, coming up with stories, thinking primarily visual from the get-go. You know, the people writing the gags are the people who are going to draw them or at least going to storyboard them. So you have that same thing where the Looney Tunes and Mickey Mouse are taking advantage of their mediums again, rather than just being stories that could technically be acted out on stage live action and not lose anything. They just happen to have these mascots attached to them. It's the same thing with the Muppets where you're disconnecting the people who are performing the characters from the making of them. Muppets from Space is that. The Muppets, the TV show is that. It's, It's both are people who were Muppet adjacent but weren't fully entrenched in it, trying to go like, I get the Muppets, but also I've sold some sitcoms. I should be the one to bridge the gap between these two, rather than it coming creatively from the inside. Muppets from Space also makes uh, the pretty colossal error of of not making Kermit your lead. Look, (laughs) I'm fine with Kermit not being the lead of a story. I think it it can survive, but it is bizarre how he just has nothing to do in this fucking movie. Yeah. He doesn't have a story in this he's movie. He's got nothing. Um, he's got no personality. He's got no humor. He's got no narrative agency. He's got nothing to work with. Uh, I'm going to give a synopsis real Please. quick at the hour point because it feels like the yes. right time to do I've it. I've done most of my table um, setting. We can dig into the movie itself. <laughs> So, uh, with enormous enthusiasm and unsinkable optimism, Daredevil Gonzo steps into his first starring role in Muppets from Space, a hilarious exist- uh, sorry, extraterrestrial adventure, and also existential, about the search for Gonzo's past. On a quest with Buddy Rizzo to find his real family, Gonzo discovers that his long-lost relatives are actually aliens from a distant planet. It was written by Jerry Jewell, Joey Mazzarino, Ken Kaufman, directed by Tim Hill. Um, we have you here, so we got to do our box office sure. game real quick. Um, this is the lowest was, grossing by far. Well, yeah. yeah, yeah. It opened fifth. Yeah, we're not gonna. It opened on a Wednesday okay. technically, but we're gonna do the Friday. Was it Fourth of July weekend or, or was it later? In July? Uh, it opened. It, it was in eighth eighth place wow. in that weekend. Wow. Uh, this is the weekend of July sixteenth, nineteen ninety nine. So it is. It's not in the top five. Yeah. Uh, your number one is the Patriot. Perhaps the most notorious movie from 1999. Oh no! It's is it? It's not uh, Eyes Wide Shut, is it? No, that's June. Is it? It, it w- is Eyes Wide Shut. That's, that's crazy that's, that these movies were the same weekend. You call that notorious? <laughs> I mean that in the sure best way. You were talking about Wild Wild West. <laughs> I mean, that's a different type I mean, of notorious. Fair. It's a different different thing. Uh, I'm sure you guys have talked about this, but there's the stat I remember from that summer as like a young budding box office aficionado 
that mm-hmm. there were only two movies released all summer that opened at number one and didn't make a hundred million dollars. That that summer was so yeah. big that almost everything, mm-hmm. every weekend had a film that would go on to a hundred million. And the only two were The Haunting, terrible. which got close, right? Terrible movie, very close, but got terrible. close. Yeah. And Eyes Wide Shot, which yeah. had such a big drop off. But everything yeah. else made it to a hundred, pretty much. Yeah, uh, it, it Eyes Wide Shut. You know, listen. There's an argument to be made for whether or not that film should have been released in the fall. It probably should have been. It's not a summer movie. It's a Christmas movie. Um, yeah. It's a Christmas Pointedly movie. Christmas Pointedly a yeah. Christmas movie. Uh, so number two is, I think, the biggest, one of okay. the biggest comedies of 1999. Uh, Big Daddy? Um, nope. That's American number Pie? four. That's okay. number See, two. There, yes. American Pie three, is number two. Three huge. You got Austin Powers, Big Daddy, and American, American Pie. Pie. Those are three yeah. big comedies that like cast a die for the next, next decade. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then at number yeah, three... Okay is uh it's not really a horror movie it's written by a tv guy if that helps you um it's it's kind of a horror movie it's a horror movie in that sort of like meta kind of post scream winky yeah no i know uh it's i think kenny might know what it is um he's a tv guy like a showrunner like a like a notour of television arguably probably in the conversation for top five of all time, maybe in terms of his, wow. his, his, uh, his abilities, or at least in terms of how many shows he made that were quite successful. Yeah. Uh, also, I think it was directed by a TV guy as well. It stars, um, again, like there aren't really big stars in this movie either. It's kind of, it's, it's a movie that I think a lot of people actually kind of have reevaluated a little bit. G- give me, um, give me the, the, how much did it do this weekend? Mm-hmm. How much did it end up at domestically? Oh, that's a very good question. Uh, let me give you I don't answer. think it's what I thought um, it was. It might not be what you think it is, Kenny. Uh, I'm clicking on it right now. Uh, it ends up at 31 hmm. domestic. Have we, have we done it, I do it, not Phil? believe... We have not done it oh, yet. Okay. Uh, I do not believe it got an international release. At all. <laughs> at all. Uh, it's a 20th Century Fox release. Uh, it's... Man, I feel like this is... It's got a golden girl in it. All the pieces are coming together for me. This isn't, um, is it Rue McClanahan? <laughs> no. Definitely, it's definitely Betty White. There's no way Phil knows it's the other. It's definitely Betty the White. Golden oh, girls. Is, is, it, is it Lake Placid? It there is Lake go. Placid. Okay. Oh, that is what it is. Okay. Well, what, what was, uh, David E. What Kelly wrote David that other movie this year. That's so fucking Mister Mystery Alaska. That's what I was. All right, so there you go. Yeah. So yeah. weird. Uh, yeah, it's uh, Bill Pullman yeah. and Bridget Fonda and a big, big crocodile. Yeah. Wow, 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 wow. <laughs> and, okay. and and then number five is is uh, what Kenny believes to be the most notorious film of 1999. Wild Wild West. Yes, uh, that's a that's a uh, rapid drop off. Yeah, because <laughs> yes. that was that came out Big that, Willy weekend. This is like. Yeah, they thought that was going to be. I, I believe that was I mean, the last big Willy weekend. That was for a little <laughs> while. Yeah, I mean, Wild Wild West ultimately, in the greater scheme of things, wasn't actually a financial disaster no. as much as people think that it no, is. No, it's one of those it's movies just, that like, like no one lost movie. money on, but everyone hated so much, and the expectations yes. were so high. So high. Yeah. It does still, I think, have Kenny's favorite line of 1999 oh, so far. Line. Oh, you, do you know? When was the last time you watched it, Griffin? I probably have seen it in the last five. Twenty-one years, years ago. The no, last... I've, seen, I've seen it within the last five or so years on stream. The line is when um the line is when Will Smith 
kills a guy who's <laughs> holding a machete at him, and he Kick, says, "Kicks him off the off the giant spider, uh-huh. off the giant spider," and he says, "No more, Mister Knife Guy." Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of great jokes. <laughs> My understanding yes, is yes, that yes. Columbia and Henson Pictures have this big deal. They know they want to do a new Muppet movie. They want to make something that feels a little more Gen X-y. They want to push the Muppets out of yeah. the territory they've been in. So there are all these stories of different pitches that were Correct. circulating at that time. There was some script that was called like Muppet Haunted House or something. There were a lot of these sort of like genre pastiches of like, yep. can we put the Muppets in a new type of movie, a new environment? It boiled down to, do you know this? It boiled down to two final pitches for them to decide which one they were going to go with. And they were Muppets from Space, and I swear to God, this isn't a joke. The second choice was Muppets in Space. They had two (laughs) rival pitches, and they were, as much as you guys are saying, putting them in space doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. They were so squarely fixated on the idea of, I don't care if it's that they were from there originally, or they're from here and they're going there. But we're making some kind of fucking Muppet space movie. And there is still, I'm going to post it in the chat for you guys to see. Please, there is please still please. here this fo- this weird item, Welch's Grape Jelly, had a series of commemorative jars that are merchandise for a movie that was never made. They're Muppets in space jars. They came oh, out, I, I think, earlier the same year that Muppets from Space came out. <laughs> and it is just the Muppets in spacesuits on alien planets. They were going to make like a space exploration movie. I think part of it was tied to that there was such a big resurgence of sci-fi in the second half of the 90s that you had Men in Black and Independence Day and X-Files and the Star Wars sure. special editions that it felt like maybe that's a thing to glom onto them. But uh, I'm surprised you don't own one of these collectible jelly. I've been looking on eBay. I've decided I want to get (laughs) (laughs) in my research for this episode. I've been. Yeah, sure. I have Uh, searches for these jars. It's just an absurd thing. Uh, The making of on the iTunes disc or whoever Mm -hmm. the fuck knows which one it is. But there's a moment when Reiner's talking about how he broke up with Patty Marshall and he was sad and then he saw that Michelle Pfeiffer was newly single. So he thought, hey, maybe I'll go out with Michelle Pfeiffer. Totally serious. Yes. Like, says it in a yes. way that makes me go, like, you actually think you're going to date Michelle yeah. Pfeiffer? It's, it was insane. insane. Yeah. David E. Kelly. Come on. Yeah. Uh, anyway, okay. I'm going to restart uh, recording. Yeah, David, yeah, of course. David E. Kelly. Come on. So, so uh, they're in this arms race between okay, Muppets perfect. from Space and Muppets so, in space. Um, yeah, yeah. And I've never read too much yes, about yes, what yes. Muppets in space was supposed to be other than that they were supposed to be in space. The other pitches sound very sort of vague. But but the Muppets from space pitch one out, it sounds like, from all the other things that were being thrown out, because it felt like it had some tie to the original thing, which is the best scene in the original right. Muppet movie is Gonzo looking up at the stars and saying, uh, I hope I go back there someday. Yeah, yeah. The yeah, defining yeah, moment of the character. Yeah. And they went like, well, there's this thing, this lingering thing about Gonzo being a whatever, being the one thing of an indistinguishable species. He's got this song that feels a little space-like. Maybe there's something there. For me, fundamentally, yes, there's some emotional territory there. That falls classically into question I don't need answered ever. Well, <laughs> right. Totally but, but, but that wins the arms race of what's the next Muppet movie because they feel like, well, we're playing in a genre that's popular. We can do it in a modern setting. If it's not in space, we can have them existing in a modern world. 
rather than the last two films, which have been period pieces and storybook films. Right. Uh, and, and this Gonzo thing, giving Gonzo a chance to be the lead. This is the other thing, is at this point, uh, Gonzo is kind of the one character still being played by the original person who heavily okay. developed him, right? Like the last of the original guys, because you have uh, Steve Whitmire's taken over for uh, Kermit. So Kermit mm-hmm. is now second generation Kermit. Uh, Frank Oz in this movie just dubbed over the voices. He did not do any puppeteering. He did like half and half on Muppet Treasure Island. On this one, he does nothing. He has not put his hand right. in a puppet. So you have other puppeteers playing the characters live on set and him essentially just doing ADR, which I think feeds into right. why uh, the performances are all bad in this. Uh, I, with all due respect to Frank Oz, when he like is doing like Q&As and events and stuff, I've seen him speak yeah. and people say, can you do the Miss Piggy voice? He will always say, I can't do the voice. It's not just a voice for me. It's a performance. It's a physical thing. It's tied to the puppet. I don't know if he had the puppet on him when he was doing ADR. I don't know what his process was, but he himself very much speaks about how it's a fluid, full body thing and he can't just do it. And this movie is essentially asking him to just layer those voices on. And so, A, he's having to match what someone else did on the day, making different choices. And B, it's like he's not really there working with the other people. I think there's also, I mean, so it's funny you bring up Frank Oz, because watching this film, first of all, Miss Piggy does feel a little bit just not like she's clicking in the way that she does in the other films. I'm sorry, like Fozzie has like almost nothing to do. Like all the Frank Oz characters kind of. Are, are, they're kind of they're, they, yeah. they sideline the three the three classic Muppet characters a- Animal Fozzie and Piggy are his big three yeah 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 um, it also makes me think about and I'm, I don't know if you you've read this but uh, when they were making the score mm, you know yes. the the Frank yes. Oz directed oh, movie fa- with the these are my favorite on set stories that Marlon Brando yeah. refused to take any direction from Frank Oz and just kept calling him Miss Piggy yes. on set I saw and, that. And, <laughs> just just. He gave I saw that movie recently. It's um a lot better. Than it's it not great. Be. Yeah, he, it's he, not bad. It's fine. <laughs> it's, it's not bad. It's and so I'm a big Oz fan. Frank, it's so weird. It was Frank Oz yeah. who pulled that cast together. I know. But um, but yeah, that was the story <laughs> that uh, De Niro had an earpiece, and yes. Frank Oz on set would speak into the earpiece, yeah. and then De Niro would give Brando Frank Oz's directions, but try to make them sound like they were just like, "Hey, can I give you a little advice?" it's insane it's insane it's so crazy um Um. it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync Things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. 
So, so Muppets from Space, just to give a little yes. bit of a uh, critical context, uh, has 63% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, 58% from audiences, which feels generous on yeah. both sides. Uh, Roger Ebert gave, uh, gave it two out of four stars. I'm going to read a little bit of his review. He said, the new Muppets movie lacks the kind of excitement the first one's generated, maybe because Muppets have become a little dated except for younger viewers, or maybe because the kind of animals we've seen in the two Babe movies show such an advance in special effects that we almost wonder why the Muppeteers go to all that trouble to physically manipulate their creatures. I feel guilty even writing these words. I recall the charm of the original Muppet movie when Kermit actually rode a bicycle and we all gasped. I suppose it seemed then that the Muppets could continue indefinitely with their outsized personalities and effortless interaction with human characters. But now, well, maybe it's just this movie. Maybe Muppets from Space is not very good. Maybe they'll make a comeback. I hope so. Now, the LA Times, however... Really liked this. So before you go on, I want, uh, I want to make lest anyone Phil, be worried that the folks. Can you hear me? Phil, before yeah, yeah. you go on, I want to make one point about that Roger Ebert review that I think is yeah, really yeah. interesting. He said he felt yeah, please, guilty please. for giving it yeah. a lukewarm review, and I <laughs> no, 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 I think there's something to that, right? I, yeah. I, I've you know recently, um, not that recently, within the last ten years, I was a huge baseball fan growing up, and I no longer am a baseball fan anymore, and I realized what what was bringing me back. And it was nothing but nostalgia and guilt, mm. right? Where I felt like in some way I was letting down, I still have a baseball poster behind me as you can see, see but yeah. some way I was letting down generations of, you know, men mm. before me by not being super into this sport anymore. Yeah. And I think there's something to that with the Muppets a little bit. And I could, I yeah. could extend that to this Jason Siegel movie to some extent. Um, which, you know, there's something that really bothers me about that movie, like at its core. And I, I, this is going to sound so stupid, but Griffin, I have a feeling you're going to get it. Sure. (laughs) Your point about the fan service of it plays very well with me because I do think that's that's what's going on there. But I think they made a critical error. Now, I don't know if it would have played if Walter was a human. Mm -hmm. by By making Walter a Muppet, Mm-hmm. And a Muppet fanboy, mm-hmm. it played as if Walter was part of this very small minority group mm-hmm. who only liked the Muppets because they were the best representation of that minority of group. Yes. Whereas what it really was was Jason Siegel, a human being, mm-hmm. expressing his love for the Muppets, and it may have played better. That way, because I remember seeing this... Without the- without the Walter character. You're saying it's just Amy Adams and Jason Siegel, and there's no Walter. Everything that Walter does could be done through a human being. It may have been better, because I would have understood it a little better. Instead of making it feel like, you know, this person is like yeah. me, therefore I like... I agree with that. I remember I also, my, yes. my niece to it, who was five or six at the time, mm-hmm. and it played horribly on her. She hated really? it. Oh, oh, she hated every second of it. She wow. wanted to leave, and I forced her to stay. Because I'm yeah. a great uncle. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that I think that might have been part of it. That I, yeah. I, I think it felt like this. These were these were creatures for creatures, not creatures for people. Well, yes, and I think that's that's another weird thing where it's yeah. like, how many of these questions do you want to start asking? Because then things start to unravel quickly in a world that is not defined by these types of rules. Mm-hmm. But you start to go like. So what is a Muppet exactly in relation to the rest of society? Because the Muppets are not a species. 
There are Muppets who are frogs, yeah. but there are also real world frogs. And there are Muppets who are bears, but they're also real-world bears. Like, in Muppets Take <laughs> Manhattan, Fozzie goes and hibernates with realistic-looking bears. Mm-hmm. And Correct. Fozzie the bear looks very different than Bobo the bear, who is less stylized. And there are Muppets who are humans. You know? There are Muppets who are totally humanoid, <laughs> like the Muppet Newsman, for example. Yeah. And I guess mm-hmm. ostensibly a lot of the electric mayhem is, like, they're not supposed to be an animal other than animal, who is no specific animal, Right? So all this stuff, like, gets a lot more complicated. And even just, like, Rolf is a dog, but then Piggy has a pet dog. And that dog is a puppet, but it behaves like a dog and not, like, an anthropomorph. All this shit. You just don't want to get into it. And so that becomes this thing of, like... Right, right. So then, Walter, you go, like... So then what is a Muppet? Like, because my understanding of it always was, like, well, the Muppet... A character being in felt is a representation of they're a weirdo. They're an oddball. This is all Jim Henson's metaphor for the creative type, the performer type, right? This sort of like the the circus freaks, the the comedians, you know, the divas, uh, the grips. I mean, all these people who just want to be living that sort of carnival lifestyle and show business. And that's, I think, what they're trying to do with Walter is like, well, he doesn't know the Muppets. He's had his own life completely removed from the Muppets, but he relates to them because they speak to something in him because he's also made a felt. But the only thing... It should also be said, too, that the Muppet or a Man song muddies all of that. Absolutely. It gets very complicated. Good song. (laughs) Good number. Good song, but what the fuck's happening? I spent the better part of a decade now trying to untangle it. So, so right, Muppets from Space is sort of trying to get into those questions again. (laughs) Now, I, I will say, I think the single best part of this movie is the opening. Yeah, because I I loved it when mm-hmm. I was ten at the time. I surprisingly loved it, and then the Noah's Ark thing. No, the whole movie. Yeah. When I was yeah. ten, when I saw it, and I was kind of embarrassed to see it, I loved it. And I was like, Muppets are back, baby, still funny. And then within a couple of years, when I had made that decision of like <laughs> I'm a serious adult Muppet fan, without rewatching that movie, I was like, I think that movie sucks, and I pretty much held on to the belief that this movie sucks for the last twenty years. Uh, despite maybe not seeing it in full since then. Now, in the last couple of years, I've started to see people defend it. And a lot of the serious adult Muppet fans hated this movie at the time. This was viewed as the Nadir. It still gets talked about as the Nadir. Every time anyone presents a new Muppet project, it's like what Kermit said on the radio show. Hey, look, we all are sorry for Muppets from space. We're not going to do that again, right? (laughs) So I started seeing people I respect defend it. Uh, you know, people around my age, people a little younger than me or whatever. And I was like, am I wrong about this? Am I too harsh on it? Do I need to be more open-hearted? So I rewatched it for this with that in mind. And I got to the opening scene. I like that opening scene a lot. When you're when it's not being talked about in literal terms, because this opening scene is yep. the nightmare that Gonzo keeps having. That F. Murray Abraham himself <laughs> is Noah, and they're letting yep. all the animals onto the ark. And he won't let Gonzo yep. on the ark because there's only one of him. It's lovely. Right. That's lovely. And that for me, I go, that's good thematic ground for a movie. And especially because you have Jerry Nelson is still alive, but he's getting old and he's only playing a lot of the supporting characters like Floyd Pepper and stuff. Frank Oz is going to be dubbing this in later. Steve Whitmire's second generation. The other two big guys you have are uh, Bill Beretta, uh, who plays like uh, Pepe and Bobo and a lot of the new characters. And plays some of the old legacy characters and the other guy's name i think is bill prady am i getting that right um because no, that no no from, i'm sorry bill, no, bill prady's the one who did the the other show the show big I bang, bang theory yes. no and he did the muppets lowercase period 
Uh, right. So <laughs> yeah, no, Bulls, right, Whitmire, yeah. Beretta, and Frank Oz <laughs> are the main Muppeteers in this. Mm. Then with Jerry Nelson doing a little bit, Brian Henson doing a little bit, Kevin Clash pretty yep. much only playing Clifford. Um, so I think it's also smart to go, Dave Golds is the guy who's still kind of got skin in the game from the original crew, yep. is showing up every day, plays a primary character, build it around him. He's an emotional focal point. But then once the movie starts, like in earnest, after this Noah's Ark thing, it just becomes like, okay, so they all live in a house together in like yeah. Southern California? Like, what is this reality? What what do they mean to each other now? Because every other version of it, it's it like, once again, I don't care about continuity, but every time they've established a new backstory to who the Muppets are to each other and how they know each other, it kind of makes sense with their personality types in the way that right. it's like, oh, Muppets take Manhattan goes, these Muppets all went to college together. They were all drama nerds at college. And then they met mm-hmm. some of the other Muppets when they moved to New York and tried to put on a Broadway show. And the Muppet movie is everyone building up one by one. And the Great Muppet Caper is finding a job that would fit for each Muppet and having the Happiness Hotel, which is like a flop house for Muppets and all these weirdos. But then this mm-hmm. one is just like, it, this is the one that for me breaks the reality the most, even more than the sequel ones of what you're saying, Kenny, where I'm like, are these the same Muppets who have starred in movies and put on shows? Because at one point they talk about, this is our vacation. So is this supposed to be like their summer home that they're renting where the entire stock company of the Muppets, all 50 of them are renting one house together and just brushing their teeth to brick house by the Commodores. Like what the, yeah, fuck what is, is this? The, yeah. The, it's terrible. The, I would actually terrible. say that the moment that kind of, when I was like, Oh, this isn't going to be yeah. good. Honestly was the first music sequence because that's when I realized, Oh shit, they're not going to do original. No, songs. this sucks. And they wrote original and, songs. Ween had written an original song that I think ended up on one oh, of really? their albums. There's a recording of huh. Gonzo doing a modern version of, I, I hope I go back there someday that has been released in oh, some really? other capacity. They had them. Oh. They were never shot. But that's the other thing about this movie is they had a script. Uh, Jerry Jewell did some of the writing, but the main writer, it sounds like, was a guy who I believe his name was Brian Mazzarino. Uh, Joey Mazzarino, okay. I apologize. Who later became the head writer of Sesame Street and has been the head writer of Sesame Street for a long time. At this point, okay. he had done a lot of stuff with the Muppets, but he was also kind of like a hot new writer in town and had been selling spec scripts and working for different studios and stuff. And so he had done stuff with Sony. He'd done stuff with the Muppets. They said, you'd be a good fit for this. After this pitch, the Dave Gold's pitch of it's, uh, we answer the Gonzo question. Is Gonzo an alien? So he said he wrote a lot of the script. There's an interview with him from Tough Pigs, which is like the best adult Muppet fan site. Um, They did a long interview with him, maybe 2005, where he goes into the making of all this. And he said that uh, he wrote the whole script. He was pretty proud of it. Uh, it was trying to riff on as many of these sort of current sci-fi movies of their day, mm-hmm. which your opinion of, of parodies, you know, it, it, right. it's, it's personal. But I also think this movie probably works better if it's a pastiche of different sci-fi movies rather than whatever the fuck this is. But he said pointedly his movie was about the fact that the the alien thing was a red herring. That he thought Gonzo should be unanswered. I'm skipping to the end of the movie here, but it was supposed to be that when the aliens land Uh and he sees the other aliens and Gonzo thinks, oh, I'm finally going to get an answer as to who I am. They tell him that they are aliens who, much like the aliens in Galaxy Quest the same year, saw broadcasts of the Muppet Show on their ship. 
Oh, wow. And they decided they're really hideous aliens, and they decided to remodel themselves after Gonzo. And there's a moment huh. where they, like, hit a button, and much like in Galaxy Quest, they become, like, disgusting squid blobs. And they just came to Earth because they want to thank Gonzo for giving them inspiration. And Gonzo has this sort of existential crisis, but then realizes the journey of the movie has been him realizing that he doesn't need to question yeah. who his family is because he has the family of the Muppets. That's, that's better. what the movie is. Undeniably better. And it also better. feels like that's what the movie is designed to be. Um, yeah. But they were, were supposed to make this movie with uh, Randall Kleiser, who is the director of Grease, and also Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, and also a very weird collection of movies. The two Blue Lagoon movies, very sure. weird filmography. Sure. He's supposed to make it with that guy's script, and then Sony freaks out, and they go, he doesn't have a vision, we have to fire him. So they hire instead Tim Hill, who had done some puppet stuff, mostly came from an animation background, later goes on to direct Garfield, The Tale of Two Kitties, and Alvin and the Chipmunks. Not Your favorite movie. Not my favorite filmmaker, right. But he jumps on, <laughs> and he's got a very kitty sensibility. And then he yeah. says, I don't like all of this stuff in the script. I think he should be an alien. I think we should take out all these parodies. I think we should take out all of this. Right. And so Brian Mazzarino, or Joey Mazzarino, I apologize, uh, quit. He said, I just didn't want to be part of it anymore. Okay. And I question whether that was the right decision, if it would have been better for me to stay on set and try to fight the battles on a daily basis. I never got hired to write a screenplay ever again. It definitely feels like it burned oh, wow. a lot of bridges in the industry by me doing that. But I Jesus. disown that movie, and I'm really unhappy with what ended up coming out with it. And so, yeah, it, it's it's what we got today, which is then the musical numbers are no longer in it. It's all funk songs. Gonzo is an alien at the yeah. end, but he doesn't want to go back home to them. All this stuff that feels really muddled sounds like it came about in this sort of like three-month rush with a new director to reconceptualize most of the movie. Yeah, it's it does feel like from a story perspective, and Kenny, you texted me this when I think we were both watching it either around the same time or whatever, and you were just like, too much Rizzo. And I was like, Yeah, too much Rizzo. Like that's how just, I Rizzo too much Rizzo, too much Rizzo's Pepe. got like they're they're horrible. Yeah, those but guys that's are, what I'm talking about. It's like Rizzo is Whitmire's character. He plays Kermit, right. but Rizzo's the one that he developed that he has authorship over. Pepe is being played by someone who has authorship over them. Gonzo played by someone who has authorship over them. The rest of the characters, yep. they're like, this is them testing out, like, can we phase some of these Muppets right. out? Yeah. And it didn't work. Yeah. I think that's... No. So no. I understand the nobility of that, and I understand the... the, um, the I, I understand the, the, the utility of that. Yes. But... Sure. but it's such a failure to me. And look, I hate Rizzo in in um in Muppet Take Manhattan. You're not there's a Rizzo. Fan. Okay, fair enough. There's something about that character that I find truly revolting. But you're a but New Yorker. All I, New Yorkers <laughs> like Rizzo. <laughs> truly, truly find him uh, physically look, physically no, disgusting. I, I like Rizzo. Uh, <laughs> he is he is a great in character by design. Yeah. He looks gross, and his personality is. <laughs> Abrasive. <laughs> he looks gross. I always have had a problem with all the fraggly Muppets. Sure. Um, that's not what I want out of a Muppet. I'm, I'm far mm -hmm. more partial if you're going to give me new Muppets. I, I think Bobo's design is literally hilarious. I think Bobo's um, great. And Pepe, I, Pepe definitely falls into your Rizzo Valley, both in appearance yeah, and right. in personality. Yeah. Pepe's a real Rizzo. <laughs> And, and, and I know a know, Rizzo Pe when I see one. And Pepe, Pepe is, a Rizzo. The, Pepe is the multiplicity fourth copy of Rizzo. Correct. Correct. You know, so at that point, I, I already got my Rizzo. 
and yeah, fine, I can handle it, but don't give me don't yeah. give me a copy of a copy. So uh, yes, I don't want too much Rizzo. I don't want too much Pepe. <laughs> I love. Um, I agree with you. I think Bobo's great, both in terms of the puppet. It's a new look. He's a new yeah. size. He's got a good personality. He's got good games. It's good performance, yeah. and it's telling that he is the only Muppet in this movie of the new Muppets that were presented. Well, a who has an arc, and B is still used. It makes it. He's yeah. still used. I mean, he's in the sequel movies. He's yeah, in yeah. like they still consider yeah. him. Pepe yeah. gets used very sparingly. I think he has one line in Muppets Most Wanted and appears in a crowd scene. I mean, Rizzo uh, is not in the Seagull movies really at all. He's in Muppets Most Wanted again for like a millisecond. Um, but uh, but yeah, Bobo they they hold on to because Bobo plays. Bobo works. Yeah. I, Bobo's I, I will say this though. <laughs> Pepe is in a lot of the reviews. Critics really liked Pepe. <laughs> like Pepe, Pepe seemed to be the one who popped for Absolutely. Them. Pepe oh, had a big summer. And exactly. when they sell to the German company... They front load Pepe for a number of years after this. I mean, this is really? this is the dark ages of the Muppets, but Pepe becomes the spokesperson for Long John Silvers. So Pepe is part of a national advertising campaign. That's insane. They, they start making a lot of Pepe merchandise. Those are, but, those what, are his brothers and sisters. Great. Are you kidding? What, what, what fans would call the big five, right? The idea is that the Muppets, the big five is always Kermit, Piggy, Fozzie, Gonzo, and then the fifth one rotates. At different times right. in the earlier days, it was okay. Rolf. Then it later becomes uh, Animal, you know, through sort mm-hmm. of popularity. Yeah. Rizzo definitely had his moment in the Big Five, uh, at the period you're talking about in the early 90s, <laughs> post Muppet Sick Manhattan. Yeah. And then Dark. after this, they were like Pepe's Big Five. Pepe was part of everything <laughs> they fucking did. If the Muppets made any appearance on anything, Pepe was part of it. They made a couple Christmas specials. Pepe was part of it. They did Muppet Wizard of Oz. Pepe was Toto. Like Pepe, they were just so ready to make. Pepe was their Taylor Kitsch. They were front loading him. They were so confident it was going to happen. But what's interesting yeah. is, yes, at the time, I remember seeing this movie in theaters and the screening I went to, Audiences went ballistic over Pepe. And the reviews said Pepe is the only one who's funny. Like he came out of this as the only one that people were laughing at. And I don't think it holds up terribly well today. But but at the time, it it was like, this guy feels a little fresh. This is something new. But is Pepe not just those weird little aliens in Men in Black in the kitchen? Very, very similar. Yes. Like it's he's they're they sound yes. the same. They've got very similar man. Yeah. I think it's parallel look, thinking because yeah. Muppets Tonight, I believe, is ninety six or ninety seven, right around the same yeah. time yeah. as yeah. Men in Black, Black is ninety seven. Yeah, man. but yeah. Um, Pepe was originally. If I could go into this for half a second, please, please. Uh, Bobo was Bobo. He he was the character. He is the security guard character. That's how he was used on Muppets Tonight. It would be the bit of when the celebrities came to the studio to record their episode. Mm-hmm to film Bobo would be the security guard who checked them in and it was easily starstruck and easily confused and a big softy Seymour and Pepe were like bellboys <laughs> or they were like ushers they had little uh-huh. like usher outfits I haven't seen the show in a while because it's still never been released on DVD never put on Disney plus but it, it was two characters they were a comedy team it was Seymour mm-hmm. and Pepe and Seymour okay, had what like to Seymour? gone, erased. <laughs> but I, th- this is important. I think is that like it is, Pepe it is, was yeah. very much designed as part of a two-person act. You know, it was like Pepe yeah. Seymour yeah. was like 
he was a big elephant and he had a really cartoony <laughs> voice and they would have a song and dance they would have a song they would do together and it was like sure. the little guy and the big guy and the one guy's positive and the other guy's sarcastic yeah. and whatever it's a laurel and hardy bit. right and then they just they threw seymour in the fucking trash and they went like <laughs> pepe's a star and it's very bizarre especially as you said in a movie that already is foregrounding rizzo so much after the last yes. two episodes, movies foregrounded Rizzo so much. I mean, both yep. uh, Muppets uh, Treasure Island and Muppet Christmas Carol make Gonzo and Rizzo a team. They are mm-hmm. a yep. team. So Rizzo has yep. become very prominent now in all this stuff. And in uh, Muppets Tonight, he's very prominent. And then you're going like, we're going to extract Pepe from his own two-person team and just kind of make him another Rizzo, but without the closeness yeah. to any other character. It just, it felt very, I mean, as you said, the tone is very similar. Their look is very yes. similar. It just feels like they're doubling down on something that's just unnecessary. Little but I also wise. think that just, and, yes. you know, not to, not to, you know, yeah, not, not to, not to beat a dead horse, but it does feel like, you know, by going all in on Gonzo, yep. by going all in on this storyline, it's really sort of set them adrift, yes. right? And they don't, so, and it, the whole thing really feels just very sort of, misguided and kind of all over the place so it doesn't shock me that they're kind of reaching for whatever they can reach for in the hopes that it'll bring some sort of cohesion to it i mean early in the film you got basically gonzo turning to kermit and saying like i'm tired of being a whatever i'm tired of feeling like this kermit calls him distinct which i think is great Mm -hmm. it's a great way of describing him and then we have sort of this, like, the aliens trying to communicate with Gonzo. Right. He gets struck by lightning. He has the fist. Well, the cereal yes, the had, cereal. like, yeah. this, right. this, like, messages stuff. And then he's struck by lightning. And the striking, the, the lightning sequence is legitimately frightening yes. to me. Yeah, it's like, good. it was, it's really weird. Yes. He's, like, it's like a Christ pose situation. And then he's traveling through space in this, like, it's just it. It's very strange. It seems a little more a Sesame Street than Muppets to me. Yeah. in its own weird way. A little bit, you know. But yeah, I, I but also that. it's it's this kind of like it it is something of a J.J. Abrams mystery box approach to storytelling, which is like the first thirty <laughs> minutes of this movie, we're gonna make you think that something insane is gonna happen by the end of the film. Like here are all these yeah. ominous signs. Here are all these characters who are showing up and giving a message and saying, "I can't tell you more yet." But you'll find out soon enough. And then the movie really kind of just like stalls. It taxis for a majority of its (laughs) runtime. It does. I mean, you've got a lot of, it's just a lot of treading water in storylines like Miss Pitt. So Gonzo's lured to a news station, which he thinks is a message from space. And Miss Piggy's working there and she's trying to become a newscaster and to steal Andy McDowell's spotlight. Miss Piggy just wants to be a local newswoman. It doesn't, yeah. for what yeah. reason? It's, I mean, it's I don't beneath know. Her. Right. It yeah. is. And then you've got like, you've got Josh Charles showing up in this Men in Black sort of parody yes. thing. Um, I don't know how I feel about Josh Charles punching the hell out of Miss Piggy. Even if she does win the fight, it does, it's not a but great look. But a lot look. of that stuff feels for me like, we're, this is very much a childish movie, but they're finding these yeah. couple of moments where they're like, can we push things two degrees so that like, parents in the audience are like whoa this movie is like a little bit fucked up <laughs> I, will, I i i will second that phil i thought i was a little fucked up seeing yeah. the <laughs> sweetest man in hollywood josh charles very strange beat the shit beat the 
out of America's sweetheart, who is made of felt and a woman and a pig. It's also um, one of those things where, like, Piggy always has been a fighter. She always does karate. She's a fighter. There are always yes. fight scenes. But but it's one of those things where it's like, you, you can't punch back. The second, no one lays a glove on her. That's can't. always Piggy's it, thing. And that was, oh, that's what I was going to ask you about that. The second that. anyone punches her. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask you about the Andy McDowell fight, because I can't remember. And look, yeah. my, my knowledge of the Muppets is basically the three movies, uh, a lot of the Muppet show, and you know, Muppet Babies sure. and things along mm-hmm. that lines. I cannot remember Miss Piggy ever losing a fight. And she definitively loses yeah. of all yeah. people to I Andy McDowell. I don't think she's ever lost a fight before this movie. And she takes two big L's. No, she beats Josh Charles. Eventually. But, but she, she loses to Andy yeah. McDowell. <laughs> yeah. <who> you... <laughs> yeah. So can I ask, I, I, this is a bigger mm. question, which this will hit a good chunk of the plot. Okay. Uh, the cameos in this movie. So bizarre. I'm so, I, I want to bring this up next. Great. Okay, great. Yes. <laughs> what is going on with the cameos in this movie? I, okay, so I did, uh, uh, I, I, my favorite place in New York City used to be a bar called Videology, where they had an incredible movie trivia night, which is the only reason I have a podcast now, came out of that. But um, they would let someone host a guest round every week. And I did a guest round on Muppet movies. And I tried to do one question for each movie. And my question for Muppets from Space, which I think maybe no one got right, was like, uh, uh, which of these cameos is not in Muppets from Space? I guess some people got it right. It was multiple choices. Some people got it right. But it it was amazing disproportionately how few people got it right. Um, Because I put in David Duchovny. And I was like, if you haven't seen this movie and you hear the title Muppets from Space and you know it's from 1999, it's safe to assume that's the kind of thing that would make sense for the Muppets to do. To have a scene where David Duchovny and or Gillian Anderson show up, right? Mm -hmm. And instead, I was like, no, the other three options are Rob Schneider, Hollywood Hogan, and (laughs) F. Murray Abraham. And then you add on Josh Charles, Annie McDowell, Ray Liotta, Kathy Griffin. It's a very bizarre group of people. Katie Holmes, Josh Jackson. Katie Holmes, Joshua Jackson. Characters. Right. Playing, playing, but playing like, Pacey and yeah. Joey. What's the, they exist in the same universe. I know. They're in the same they universe. They talk about the Dawson not Dawson's being Street. there. Like yeah. They clearly wrote a cameo around the fact that they were yeah. hoping they would get James Vanderbeek. Yeah. So instead, they have the other two actors talk about the fact that James Vanderbeek isn't in the movie, essentially. And by the uh, way, they were the ones who were slumming at that point. I know. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, it's also so they shot it on the same soundstage, which is why they just basically sense. knocked on knocked on their door yes. and was like, "Hey, will you fucking show up for five yes. minutes?" But <laughs> it is like says, no way. That's like a grouping of people who are at very different stages in their career. Yes, the different ways in which they use those people, even in terms of yes. how they present them, like someone like Josh Charles, you're like, is the audience seeing a Muppet movie in 1999 going to yeah. recognize Josh Charles? with sunglasses over his face as a cameo, or is that just an actor being cast in a role? Like, is that supposed to be in the tradition of Muppet cameos, or is that just a day player, you know? I think that these cameos really speak to how much of the shine yes. was off the Muppets Absolutely. at this point, right? Yes. Because these are the people that are like, yeah, sure, I'll do a Fine. day on the Muppet movie, right? right? And 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 all of it just screams sort of it's it's kind of sad well, is, is ultimately what it is. Yeah, really, Otis cameo is insane. Really, bizarre. Two of the two I, of the human cameos are to set up 
sexual tension with specific Muppets, right? I mean, Leota wants to fuck Piggy, and it's implied that but, Kathy but Griffin doesn't? does fuck Animal. Yeah. I think she does. But so, but I, I think part of the charm of the Muppet movies, at least the mm-hmm. first three, yeah. is that the mm-hmm. cameos are never the biggest stars in the world. They're always kind of just the biggest stars at that moment. Well, and, and, and also they're people who fit into the Muppet universe. Yeah, they're yes, always yes. a like little Steve awkward. Martin and Elliot Gould, even though they were big stars yeah, big star. at that moment, they fit. Yeah. They're very Steve character. McQueen being in a Muppet movie would have been jarring. But Gould and Martin fit. But also Milton Berle and Bob Hope and like uh, Orson you know, Welles uh, even Edgar fits. Bergen, Orson there's, Wells. Yeah, there's Lincoln. something these are all there's right. something about people who have a who have a tie, whether yes. it is an actual tie or a spiritual tie yes, to absolutely. Correct. a different kind of of comedy, really. Right. right? But as you said, of- like you have a bunch of cameos in which people are just playing characters. And then you have like two big stars playing the same characters they play on a TV show, establishing that that TV show now exists in the same universe as this movie. And then you have Hollywood Hogan credited with his name Hollywood at Hogan. that time. Like, not Hulk Hogan, but Hollywood Hogan, because this was his uh, a fucking WCW heel turn. Happy era. to dive into this one if you'd like me to. <laughs> but he comes on screen and uh, direct addresses the camera and essentially yeah. explains what his narrative is in wrestling at that time. Like, the movie breaks for a moment in order for him to continue his rebranding tour of I'm a bad guy now. Watch it's WCW. Extremely fucking weird. Weird. Because Can, I'm going to do a, a, yeah, a quick yeah. Hulk Hogan please, please, please. deep dive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be a shallow dive. The Hulk Hogan thing, Griffin, I'm amazed you know as much as you know on this. My brother um, was a big WCW kid at the time. All right. So basically, Hulk Hogan spent his entire career in WWF as a good guy, the goodest of all good guys. Yeah. Um, he. He goes to WCW. His good guy act is not playing that well in Atlanta, where WCW is based. Now, it's a national company, but it's basically a southern regional company that hates WWF. And mm-hmm. they they think he is coming to steal their guy's spot. So the fans reject right. him. And as they don't hero. want the sloppy seconds from the, the league that they already weren't following. Right. So good <laughs> yeah. for... Everybody in this situation, from Hogan to Ted Turner to everybody, to re- to read the writing on the walls and say, you know what, he's a bad guy here. We're going to make him a bad guy in real life. And yeah. they lean into the fact that he came from up north and that he was had been in these Hollywood movies and that, like you know, Hulk Hogan before The Rock was as big as wrestlers got. So yes. he had these Hollywood friends. He coastal looks like elite. he does in this movie with his. What's that? Co- he's a coastal elite. He's a coastal. Yeah, he is. He's a latte I- liberal. Yeah. Well, actually, he's not. But he is a coastal elite. Yeah, he he dyes his he dyes his beard black. Starts right. calling himself Hollywood Hogan. Yes. Forms this bad guy group group called the NWO. Legitimately, the coolest thing wrestling has ever done in America. Um, front to back, that I can go for a while, and Phil, we will because mm-hmm. it happened around 1999. Mm-hmm. But the thing about this cameo that's so super weird is no art form in the world protects their reality more than wrestling yes hollywood forget hollywood hogan the undertaker Mm -hmm. an undead zombie mortician goes on jay leno as the undertaker right and tries to present the reality of of wrestling as his reality in the real world you don't break kayfabe you do not break kayfabe that's right 
Hulk Hogan broke kayfabe in Muppets from Space. Which right, is to talk so about the way he weird. was rebranded. Yes, like, to say I'm a so bad guy weird. now. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so so sh- shortly thereafter this, uh, um, Rizzo and Gonzo are kidnapped and put into like a rat trap. Right, because Gonzo is forced to, to, to make a bunch of messages. He mows the lawn and he yeah. goes on the talk show. He's trying to communicate to them. But right. talking about the sort of lack of, of narrative propulsion in this movie, the premise yeah. is essentially... Gonzo is told that the aliens are going to arrive in a couple of days. And then the movie has to yeah. tread water until the aliens arrive. The only thing in that fucking the matters. Worst setting the Muppets have ever been in. I yeah, visually talk about that, that for a second. Building. Yes. yes, it's the awful. Well, it's it's first of all, it is visually. It's also kind of fucked and scary because yes. it's about doing like surgeries and medical research on rats yes. and and these characters that we yeah. love. I mean, no joke. You love. We get like, hey, whatever. Uh, <laughs> all right, but we we're like we're like seconds away from uh, Gonzo being cut open by that. Right. And here's another <laughs> like universe shattering. Thing. Mu- Not that I Muppet really doctor. care, yeah. but that that character is Doctor Phil von Neuter, who is played by Brian Henson, and Doctor Phil von Neuter was a regular on Muppets Tonight. It was sort of the attempt to make a new version of Muppet Labs. The, uh, Bunsen, Honeydew, and Beaker were still there, but they were trying to refresh everything. So it was, oh, right. instead of it being a science lab, it's like a mad scientist, and he does these things. Sure, and it was sure, Dr. Sure. Phil von Neuter, and he had a hunchback named Lurch. And then this movie is saying, sure. like, this isn't the Muppets playing roles in a movie. This is ostensibly the real lives of the actors, the Muppets, who have yeah. starred in things we know. But then also this guy who they used to be on a TV show with is now just a villain who they seemingly don't know who's about to lobotomize them. I want to say I'll I want to say this. one thing. Uh, oh, it's so, a bit of a please. callback. This yeah. is much worse than the Jason Segel Muppets. So I don't want anyone I, to I think like that both I, of those. Yeah. This is yeah, they, yeah. I actually like them oh, too. Oh, yes. But you're saying yeah. yes. Yeah. Yes. This I is like, far and away. I the like them thing. too in in their own way. I think they're mm-hmm. kind of lovely. Um I think the Jason Segel one I I you know, if if you can kind of like distill the heart of that movie into like something you can drink, it would taste good. Yeah. But <laughs> this this this, this movie spoiled. this movie is a disaster. Yeah. It's just it's yeah. a disaster on uh, every level, um, and particularly from the reality it, of the world perspective. At this at this point, we do get a cameo that I think actually works, which is David Arquette. Oh right, David Jeez. Arquette shows yes. up. Another yes. another former WCW and, champion. But <laughs> yeah, but he. He feels like he belongs. He in knows a he's in a Muppet movie. He seems like the he one guy it. in this who is doing it because he's like, I've always wanted to be in a Muppet movie. It feels that yes. way. It feels that way. Um, so we we have that whole thing in the. It's basically just it's kind of a heist movie at this point because they need to bust out right. Gonzo, Gonzo and Rizzo are the... held in this lab by, of course, America's favorite actor Jeffrey right. Tambor, <laughs> right. and also his henchman uh, Bobo. And there's this whole like kind of great escapey kind of component to it, which is like trying to bust yeah. out. There's like a Shawshank Redemption kind of illusion at one right. point when Rizzo reels behind a poster that that he's like dug away out or whatever. Like the the rat stuff just doesn't totally work, but I don't but know. It's, it's kind of funny. Scale, I'll say it works better than the other shit. Like you know, like yes. is is yes. it great? Yes. Is it my favorite Muppet stuff? No, but when you watch this film, you have to go like comparatively. Rizzo and Pepe pop more than most of the classic Muppets. Even if you're like too much of this, anytime they cut back to like, there's that moment where they cut back to all the Muppets in the Electric Mayhem bus. And they're like, we're going to save Gonzo. And just, you're like, 
none of these characters have any life in them anymore. Yeah. They have nothing to do in this movie. They're just in a bus saying, don't worry, eventually we'll get there and resolve the plot of this movie. But then it just becomes like they're sneaking in all the stuff they got from Doctor Which Which ultimately they do. Right. <laughs> but it's like a lot of... Yeah, I mean, they, they, I mean, ultimately we get to sort of this like... Yeah, it, it, it doesn't... Once we get to this like rave party waiting for the aliens bit... Which, I don't know, it sort of reminded me of, like, a Burning Man thing. It's like the idea is because he did that news broadcast and everyone else believes that aliens are real yeah. and they want to be there to see the aliens. Okay. That's, yeah, I guess, what like, we're supposed uh, to believe. like an Independence Day. You know, right. when, when the, and the, the L.A. Yeah. one that was in a nondescript building. I still don't know what building they blew up. But, when but all the people said, are on the top waiting for them. I suppose yeah, like, yeah. that, it's very much like this, like, hippie, like, peace and love flower child thing. And in this... It's yeah. very much like, you're right, it feels like a PG, like, Bonnaroo. Like, it feels like, yeah. right. Like, <clears throat> it sort of feels like in, uh, yeah, it sort of feels like in Contact, yeah. when all those people show up thinking that, that the aliens are going to, and there's like, a, there's like a party out right. in the but desert sort of situation. Again, I understand, like, if this is a remnant of a draft where the movie was more pointedly parodying different modern sci-fi movies. And and Joey Mazzarano said in like contact was one of the things he was riffing on in his script. It was contact. It was Men in Black. It was Independence Day. Right. You see the pieces of that. There's the scene yep. where uh, uh, Commissioner Gordon, the original Commissioner Gordon, Pat Hingle, comes <laughs> yes, back in on Jeffrey Tambor, and he's trying to show proof that he has an alien because everyone's <laughs> laughed at him his entire life, and his storyline is that he needs to prove that aliens are real, so he no longer feels like a loser. Uh, but. They, they do the direct parody of the Independence Day scene, which in this movie, as it currently stands, sticks out very weirdly because the rest yeah. of the movie is not doing direct parody. And their only parody that still exists is of the most harrowing scene in a different movie, yep. you know? Yeah. yeah, it's I mean, it's it really that is just... in the um and in the end was still yeah. close encounters. But I feel like, yes, that's I yeah. feel like they do that in almost every movie where aliens come around now. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, this movie sucks, but, uh, I, we'd like to talk about our things that we do like, and Griffin, I mentioned that we would do our top five. Muppets. Well, I want to, I want to ask Griffin one question before Phil, and I think, you know, where okay, I'm please. going. Yeah, on this. yeah. And then I want to, I want to give five seconds to the ending, but what's your question? Uh, yeah. Please, I, I, I want to know, um, well, I don't actually usually ask questions straight up. I give you my opinion first. So my opinion is mm-hmm. Gonzo is a problematic <laughs> character. Oh and god. I'm, and I and and I can't get over the fact that he has a harem of essentially mute chicken girlfriends. Uh-huh. Yeah. Talk to me about that. <laughs> Look, it's it's hard to talk. <laughs> I think th- I, this is this is I'm glad you brought this up cuz I mean this gets to a bigger point. There there is a a domestication of Gonzo that has made his character less and less functional over time. Gonzo used to be so deeply, thoroughly weird. I mean, the bit was he'd be backstage and he'd be going, it's great, I'm going to do this! And it would just make zero sense, and then he would eat a tire while sliding down like a flaming hope, you know, with a zip line with his nose, and then the chicken stuff, and the thing was just like, this guy is on another fucking wavelength. And that worked. And over time, they have made Gonzo more and more into just your wacky uncle. 
which I think is where the character really starts to fail because he just becomes a guy who wears loud ties, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, he stopped being a performer in the same sense, the daredevil angle to him. I mean, there was this thing where he was like part evil Knievel, but also part Frank Zappa. And yeah, that's where right. he really worked, where you're like, it's this weird like performance art thing. There's this weird level of like physical suffering to all his acts, but also he <laughs> himself as being a very highbrow artist. He's going to set all of his acts to classical music and things like that. And so then the chickens work as part of that because it's just like everything about this guy is just like a 10 on the crazy scale. Like everything's shooting in a different direction. When you make him a guy who wears like like a, a black and white checkered suit and a tie that has chili peppers on it, you know, and a little like... <laughs> Become by the 90s then it's just like this guy just sucks. like this is like the middle manager at the office you hate this is the uncle you get to sit next to you know at like rosh hashanah like this guy blows and then the chicken stuff once he starts acting a little bit more like a normal human being but just a little goofy then the chicken stuff becomes upsetting to me because right. then <laughs> he's actually at a different mental level than the chickens whereas in the earlier stages of the character it felt like well, this guy makes more sense with a chicken than he does with anything else, you know? Yeah. <laughs> now he's a little too high. Exactly right. Right. And so it's, yeah, I agree, I agree it's with the that. same thing with this. And it's why I think there's a kernel of a good idea in the premise that the, the opening gets to of just like, get back to uh, hashtag, uh, keep Gonzo weird. Make Gonzo weird again, you know? <laughs> <laughs> this thing very quickly like veers off from there are a couple moments like individual like short moments where it, this isn't even i think it's just an end result of what is meant to be a visual gag but when he's in that trance like post zapping and he's on the lawn mower and his eyes are totally mm -hmm. bugged out his pupils are tiny it's supposed to be yep, like yep. oh he's having some sort of like seizure or something but i'm like yeah. This feels like chaotic good in the way that Gonzo should. And then the rest of it, it's a lot of him making like shitty jokes to Jeffrey Tambor, you know, like in a way yeah. that doesn't fucking matter. And you also go like, does he need to be like fucking apprehended? Does he need to be tested? Can this movie not be if this is the premise you want? And if the end point is he's going to stay with the Muppets because they shouldn't be his family. Right. And I'll get to this in a second, but they shouldn't be his family and he should stay on Earth. Would it not make more sense? That this movie is, and this is very classic Muppet movie. Act one, you know, first 10, 15 minutes, what we've talked about, when he gets the zap, when he goes up to space, they tell him, Gonzo, you need to meet us here in two days. And they go, there? That's blank, blank miles away. How can we ever get there? And then he goes back to Earth, and the movie is the Muppets, with Gonzo included, in the bus, on the road trip, trying to get to the place. Yeah. So that the movie yeah. remains about Gonzo's relationship to these other Muppets, which is what they're trying to make it about. Because at the end, whether it was the intended script, where it turns out that he's not an alien, or the current script, where it turns out that he is an alien, but he decides to stay at home with the Muppets, this movie has to reassert why he cares more about the Muppets. And it fails to do that, because he's separate Correct. for most of the running time. They save yeah. him. They go through the trouble of saving him, but he barely communicates with most of the characters for most of this movie. It doesn't feel like he has a strong emotional connection to most of them. And the big ones, as we said, like Fozzie, Kermit, 
uh, uh, Miss Piggy are kind of like just sort of side fluff in this movie. Same with Animal. Like it's really just him and Rizzo. Uh, and and I do think it's like, I like the idea of this movie winding up to a point that is, there is no answer. Like Gonzo has to accept that who he is is, is a whatever. He doesn't yeah. need an explanation. Yeah. He's known who he is. He's been a Muppet for fucking 30 years. He starred in a bunch of movies. He's been on all these TV shows. He knows his role. <laughs> like that's the lesson he should be learning. And instead, yeah. it's this thing of, like, they fucking land in the ship, which is maybe the only visual I really like in the movie. I think the actual model of the ship is good. There's a good 1999 yeah, the cool. of miniatures yeah. kind of extended yeah. of the ship. Yeah. Sure. And the ship opens up, and they're shitty fucking, like, Muppet Funkadelic. And, and yep. they do, yep. uh, God, what song do they do? Oh, what's the song? It uh, is, uh, it's, is it Celebrate? Yes, yeah, I think so. Very yes, upsetting. Yeah. I know, and it sucks. Um, yeah. Gonzo, we have searched long and far for you, and now we have but one thing to say. Do the song, and at the end of the song they go, so you're coming home with us? And he's like, ah, no, I'm going to stay with the Muppets. And it's like, wait a second. They're his fam- Is that guy his dad? Are they his <laughs> or are they specifically his nuclear family? Like, who is he coming face-to-face with here? He hasn't had a conversation with them. They just sang a yeah. song on a beach, and a bunch of fucking Woodstock 99 rejects swung around yeah. glow stick, and then they said, no, you're boarding or not. Like, that's the whole yep. fucking interaction. It is so emotionally shallow. And then when he turns back and goes, actually, I should stay with the Muppets, that also is shallow. Like, both sides of it are shallow. You don't understand why he would go with the aliens. You don't understand why he would stay at home with the Muppets. You don't understand why either of those things happen that quickly. And then the tie-up is, oh, no, Jeffrey Tambor, he's the one who belongs with them. He's the one. The Really, the arc of the movie is Jeffrey Tambor. The real, complete, narrative, emotional arc of this movie is Jeffrey Tambor (laughs) finally finding where he belongs. And then it just cuts to them on a roof, and there's some blackout gag, and the movie is over. And then what? They, there's a cover of Shining Star, and the Muppets are all kaleidoscopes. What the fuck is this Correct. movie? Correct. Correct. Okay, top it's five the worst. <laughs> top five Muppets. <laughs> top five Muppets. Top five Muppets. Uh, I'll start really with my number five. five uh, Dr. Bunsen, Honeydew. Oh, oh sorry. Top five Muppets. Five. Yes. Okay. Top five all Muppets. Right, that. Yeah, yeah. Top yeah. five, you're saying. My number five is Dr. Bunsen Honeydew. My question to you is, uh, who came first, Honeydew or John Hodgman? Because they're basically the same, right? Like they're Absolutely. They sound the same. Uh, they look the Hodgman same. Hodgman has eyes. Hodgman does have eyes. Hodgman does. On season two of The Tick, uh, John Hodgman yes. plays a character yes. named uh, uh, Agent, Agent Hobbs. I'm, for, I'm trying to remember his full name, but the joke is that at one point we apply, imply that Agent is his first name. <laughs> I think, but um, it's just I could I couldn't believe how much he sounded and looked like John Hodgman though. Oh, it just sure, but but in the tick, consciously a Honeydew reference. Like when he oh, met perfect. with Ben about the role, he said, "I I yeah. essentially want you to play Doctor Honeydew." <laughs> and Hodgman to that end uh, insisted yeah. on in almost every scene having a clipboard because it. With the physicality of usually one of Doctor Honeydew's hands was pressed against his chest with the clipboard, so that they only had to puppeteer the other hand. (laughs) So he moved like that. Yes, John Hodgman. uh, I I think you know it's. I I don't want to 
say that John Hodgman's parents ripped off Bunsen Honeydew. When they <laughs> but at the very least, there's some going on there. Uh, what is your number five? I want to say mine is Dr. Bunsen Honeydew as well. And I feel like he is an underrated Muppet. I fight for him a lot. I think I can't put him higher than five. But uh, I think Beaker is so beloved. And Honeydew is is the consummate straight man. He also just yeah. is one of my favorite Muppet designs. I love the look of Honeydew. I love the voice of Honeydew. Uh, I love him on an aesthetic level. But, but like, the man is, he's selfless. He's Scotty Pippen, you know, to, <laughs> to Beaker's Jordan. Like, he let Beaker That's get the buckets. And yeah. he's probably grossly yeah. underpaid and locked into, like, <laughs> 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 but, but Honeydew rules. Yeah. Uh, Kenny, I'll give you my five. five. I made this right now. But um, Great. there are a lot of Muppets, I, I, I must say. And as I said, I love the Muppets and I love watching them do what they do. There are a lot of Muppets that I don't have a lot of affinity for. Sure. Well, there are a lot of I, them. I don't like oversized Muppets very much. They scare the shit wow. out of me. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Um, Interesting. I, I, Bobo's about as big as you like to get. Well, we're, the Sesame Street characters notwithstanding. I love them on Sesame Street. Yes. Sure. But, but, but I'm sorry, within sure. Muppets universe proper, you would say that Bobo being... Bobo being smaller than a human man, right? But not if, jack size. If you go above human size, you dislike. You're, you're counting out your sweetums, your thogs. Yeah, sw- sweetums it's, for sure is. Uh, it's it'll take a lot. You're you're okay. already okay. at a disadvantage. No, 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 no. That said, I love Snuffleupagus. Okay. Absolutely love sure. Snuffleupagus. So you can't. You know, you, you, Big Bird, you can't obviously, discount. you love Big Bird. I, so you I like the Big Bird. Sesame Street Muppets. But I, you, re- well, like you know what, I really else. hate, um, I really hate Sid and Marty Croft characters. Oh, interesting. They make me physically ill. And you, so, said, you said you just like Fraggle Rock, and Fraggle Rock has a lot of that size. Stuff. I, I'm okay with Fraggle Rock, the show. Uh-huh. But the frag, because I don't mind it, that being the aesthetic of the world, but the sure. fraggly yeah. characters within this world, I guess I'm a bit sizest when it comes to the Muppets. No, but I, I guess say, I mean, the fraggles are small. The characters I would yeah. assume you would hate are, uh, I'm forgetting their names now, uh, the gorgs, yeah, like, the big giants. Yeah, like the Morlocks. The fraggles, yeah. Right. They're, they're not the real Morlocks, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. What's your number all five? of mine fall within the, you know, the classic Muppet size. Sure, yes, correct. Uh, I love Rolf. I love his Rolf's sincerity. Your number five. Rolf's and Rolf's, I love his. Rolf's he's the first proper Muppet. He was Jim Henson's first breakout character, even before. Oh, really? and he, he, I love his sincerity. I love he, he's he's got he's got a he's got a dignity to him. Um, uh, genuinely talented, genuinely genuinely ta- talented dog. So um, I, I really can like. I make Rolf. a recommendation. Uh, there's an album that Jim Henson recorded in like the '80s and then never released, and it was only released maybe five years after he died. Called "Old Brown Ears Is Back." And it's That's Rolf weird. singing standards. It's like a Rolf Sinatra album. It's a studio album of mm-hmm. Rolf doing some songs he had sung before, some songs that were popular That's by amazing. other Muppets, and some standards. It's a great album. It's a great. He's album. got a Old great. Brown he's got a great voice. He's yeah. very distinct. He's not like the other Muppets. I really like that. And you know, I think you'll notice as I go along. I, I like. I like the the distinct the distinctness. The the classics. Mm-hmm. Of course, I love yeah. the classics, but the distinctness that that isn't you know. That, that isn't defined by size in a peppy kind yeah. of way. Yeah. Okay. Fine. You're not a, you're not a size. This Phil, you're so, number four. Yeah. My number four is Beaker. Uh, wow. I, I mean, it's, okay. he's just, he, he's just he's great. Uh, I love him. 
Uh, he's Jordan. Uh, I, I, I just, I don't know. Who doesn't love to see him get electrocuted all the time and screaming? He He's great. He's he never great. misses. Yeah. I am a little disappointed because when you put Bunsen at five, I went, finally, I have an ally in thinking that Bunsen is better than Beaker. But, of course, you were putting Bunsen at five. <laughs> only so I'm, I'm sorry. What's your number my four? My number four is Janice. Janice is my favorite Janice of the electric Janice mayhem. People love I feel Janice. Like most people go for, uh, obviously, animal. Uh, mm-hmm. but Janice for me is, is, as you said, so specific. She is such a specific, cause the idea is that like, uh, animal is kind of Keith Moon, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 is yeah. sort yeah. of, uh, half, um, uh, Pink Floyd, half the Beatles amalgam. Uh, Dr. Teeth is Dr. John. Uh, oh, right. Sure. Um, Zoot is supposed to be Miles Davis, maybe, I think. Uh, and okay. then Janice is obviously supposed to be a sort of Janice Joplin, Mamas and the Papas type yeah. character. But I think Real Joni Mitchell a, look. Joni yeah. Mitchell, right. I mean, she's all that sort of era of like 60s, 70s female rock. Um, I think she is is sort of underrated in her hit ratio because she so often isn't center stage. But almost every time Janice has a line, it's a, it's, it's a big hit. And I think she's got a great voice. I think she's a great musician. <laughs> I think she is underrated in terms of versatility, both between the bass guitar and also uh, the the um, tambourine. Uh, I think she's a great character, and also I just think there there are only two prominent female Muppets. I know uh, it's a it's an, an issue, but that's crazy. group, it really is. Janice and Piggy are the only two who are in the regular rotation, and Piggy gets a lot of credit. So I always try to boost Janice whenever I can. Kenny, what's your number four? Man, this is gonna go over like a. <laughs> like a Led Zeppelin. Piggy is my number four. Yeah. Hey, no, I like Piggy. Okay. I'm just saying uh, <laughs> the less represented Muppet. Um, yeah. I love... yeah. Miss Piggy's great. For, for someone who is always kind of playing in this narrow, uh, narrow kind of mm-hmm. range, she's so versatile. Yes. Like there's just something about her where she just, 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 you can put her. Now, this might be, this might be part of the, the Muppets' problem of only having two female characters and really only having one who's part of the ensemble, right? Right. Janice doesn't, Peggy has Janice doesn't play characters. Janice yeah. is chilling out in the band with, you know, yes. Kevin Eubanks. So I, a good vibe. Janice just has a good vibe. Yeah, yeah. Janice just made herself great. great. But, but Piggy can do so much. And Piggy yes. needs to do so much, but yeah. she can yeah. do so much. She pulls it I mean, all talk off. Talk about range. Talk about range. Piggy does it all. Yeah. yeah, she does it all. Um, <clears throat> my number three is Fozzie. Um, I mean, I, I think that, and I, I mentioned this to Kenny, we were texting about this. Fozzie, to me, really encapsulates, um, and I'm not a comedian. Mm. I haven't tried any comedy or done stand-up, but he personifies everything that I think a comedian is. His insecurity, his just, like, his desire, his just his need to make people laugh. Um so that's I think Fozzie's the best. Very interesting take as a comedian. I wonder where Fozzie is going to come in on my ranking. <laughs> What's your number three? My number three is Scooter. Scooter, Scooter's I think, is very easily. As you notice here, I'm putting in a lot of Muppets who I think don't get the credit they deserve. Okay, <laughs> my top two are going to be more obvious picks, but but I, yeah. I like to I like to boost some of the Muppets who I think are doing a lot of the really heavy invisible lifting. <laughs> And Scooter is, we talk about, like, the Walter problem. Scooter is successful Walter. 
Scooter is creating a bridge between the Muppets and sort of and us. Yeah. Right. Scooter mm-hmm. was, uh, you know, a, a vaguely humanoid Muppet, but they also say that he's a gopher, but the joke is that he's more of a gopher, gopher, like a PA gopher. Yeah. Uh, his uncle owns the Muppet Theater, mm-hmm. and so he starts working backstage, and he's got all the grunt work and knocking on the doors, telling the people who's up next. But there's a little micro arc for a show that is not serialized. There's a little micro arc throughout the five seasons of the Muppet Show yep. of Scooter starting to build up the courage to perform. That he starts out as sort of behind the scenes guy plucked. It's true. His job only because of nepotism. He only gets the job because of nepotism. But then he really proves that he's one of them. And they originally think like, yep. this guy's a fucking cop. This guy's a square. Mm. Like he doesn't belong. <laughs> And Scooter really proves his own. And th- th- I think the first time Scooter does a performance on The Muppet Show, Kermit introduces him. He goes like, would you believe it? I mean, this is weird. Our own gopher, he wants to do a song. And it's very endearing to me that by the end of the run, he's performing more regularly. In the first couple of movies, when Richard Hunt's still alive, he's a real part of the team. He's the like, man's uh-huh. manager. He's yeah. part of the group in college. All this stuff. Uh, works at the Happiness Hotel. Um, I think he's a great character. And he is. he is... He's an everyman. He he's not flashy, you know. He doesn't have a big character game. He doesn't have a big skill set. Uh, but he's just a he's a good guy. I like Scooter too. He's a great guy. I think Scooter's a great. Great sales job. He was boring as a kid, but I I grow to appreciate Scooter more and more with each passing year. Now you know who he is. Kenny, what's your bit, you know three? he is in, in a weird way. All right, two mm. things. You just convinced me that Scooter would be a more interesting character to do a movie about than Gonzo. Scooter's one. a great character to do a movie about. Correct, um, correct. And, and this two, movie is the first time Scooter speaks after Richard Hunt dies, which is about 10 years later, and I think mm-hmm. he has one line. I think I, I read brother. it was his brother who yeah, exactly. took over. Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. second is, uh, can I remember it? Mm, no, I'm sure it wasn't that interesting. Okay. But w- <laughs> what's, your number, right. what's your number three, Kenny? Um, this is going to haunt me forever. It was Scooter related. Uh, the number three is my favorite designed character. Um and my love of my life. The Swedish chef. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Those human hands. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. The, yeah. the balls of these people. <laughs> I mean, to put yeah. human hands on this character and yeah. make yeah. the hand. First of all, he's, his design is amazing. Incredible. His face is amazing. Yeah. Everything about him is amazing. And then yeah. to say, and then to say, we're going to make these human hands the focus of this character. I could yeah. watch that motherfucker cook all day. I, I don't know. I usually have it here on my desk, a Swedish chef action figure, but instead yeah. I have I have all the pieces that come with them. I have a chicken here. The Swedish chef is the best. He, yeah. if, if, it, if the Swedish chef was my first favorite Muppets character, the Swedish chef is who my family did did uh you know bits about when we were growing mm-hmm. up. We did mm-hmm. the Swedish chef voice. Sure, sure. There, he has sure. a real place in my in my heart. And if it weren't for you know the, the brilliance of kind of the core, too. Yeah, and I'll um, say this: I I know I was saying that <clears throat> Phil von Neuter was trying to replace Muppet Labs. He was also trying to replace Swedish Chef because I don't know if you noticed Phil von Neuter is a similar puppet where it's like fingers, uh, fingers, 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 fingers. Yeah. right. He's wearing felt over the hands because he needs to be green or yellow or whatever he is. But um, I didn't notice that. But it upsets me. Puppet movement. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So my number two is actually my favorite. I think aesthetic design design puppet. Uh, Animals. My number two. Um, 
or or, or as well, I can only assume is what a young Ben Hosley was like. Was, was I, I think pretty close. I mean, yeah, yeah, <laughs> feels like that. It's pretty yeah. close. Um, he just, I, I, I love the simplicity of Animal. Uh, he, he's just, I, I love the id that he is. Yes. Uh, that he's just like he's just rampant chaos. I also love like um the Tasmanian Devil when I was sure. a kid too. Like I just love sort of. Uh, uh, an agent of that's chaos. What my brother was. Like. My brother was like a very physically active, antsy kid, and he was always drawn to animal, Tasmanian devil, whoever that agent of chaos character was. Yeah, yeah. it's just it's just great. And I also, I mean, I I, I mentioned Ben because when I watched the Muppet movie again for the first time, an animal gets big in the Muppet movie. I was just like, this must have just been Ben's favorite, oh, Ben Hawkins' yeah. favorite thing ever. It's just animal getting big. I have um, a lot of respect. Yeah, I just for I love animal. him. I think I think animal very animal. true to himself. He is, and I love just the, the style of like his hair. I just, I think he's, I think he's yeah. the best. But I'm trying to get What's your quote here. I'm sorry. Uh, no, I, I might be paraphrasing this, but Frank Oz says that animal is pure id with everything removed other than the desire for sleep, food, and sex. It's, it's, uh, yeah. He says drum, sleep, food, sex, and pain. <laughs> Look at that. Because yeah, he's right over right. Griffin. Yeah. We're on the Zoom, and Griffin shows yeah. the Muppets from Space as a background. So, so he is right over his shoulder. Prominent right over yeah. his shoulder. Yeah. Look yeah. at that gorgeous character design. I know. He yeah. has never run a comb through his hair once. It's beautiful. It's so good. Can I say another thing <laughs> that I hate about this movie? They got Animal wearing like some fucking Billabong t shirt the entire time. Yeah. It's, like it's he awful. cares. Like, like he fucking would. Like he would ever wear a label. It's true. Wearing, That's like, true nope, too. Nope, not what he would wear. Not what he no. would wear. He would tear this thing to pieces. No. no. Uh, what's your number two, Griffin? My number two is Gonzo. Now, there's a slight asterisk here, which is it's sort of the best version of Gonzo. Is my number two. Gonzo at his purest. Okay. I think okay. Uh, essentially Gonzo gets less and less pure as time goes on. Uh, the first season of the Muppet Show is my favorite Gonzo. And it is when Gonzo is incredibly sad and the puppet looks sad and the performance is sad. And David Goals has said that he watched it and he felt like it was too depressing. He didn't find the character until a couple years later. I think he nailed it the first time out. I mm-hmm. think Gonzo remains good after that, but he has, as I was saying, gotten more and more domesticated as time has gone on. In theory, I should be right in the wheelhouse for this movie. I'm ready for a, a sort of Gonzo as emotional center story. Um, sure. but it's the wrong film, it's the wrong take, and they've lost their handle on the character. But I do love that he is just a pure, unbridled creativity, love of performance. You know, he's like a true artist who does not even think about how the audience is going to receive what he's doing. He just follows his own whims, and it's pure bliss for him. And I do love the the whateverness of him. It's one of the reasons I don't like this movie trying to solve it, is that I like sort of it's not even a metaphor but the idea of just like he is the type of person who just feels disconnected from all of humanity you know sure it is it is yeah, not like uh you know he has he doesn't have body dysmorphia he doesn't have gender dysphoria he is just <laughs> like he just doesn't feel like anyone else mm-hmm. um and i think that's like a, a good angle to have in the muppet universe because of how they relate to everything else around them I God, that. The fuck, what do you got for number two Kenny? this movie up so badly you could have done a great job, Griffin. Um, one day you're going to get this this um, franchise. This gig? Uh, yeah. Number two, Fauzi Bear. We already talked about him. But, um, he's great. Yeah. He's, 
I, you know, he's the best. I want to say one thing about Gonzo, which is I remember as a child being scared of Gonzo. Um, really? That's yeah. part of what I like about Gonzo. And that's what I'm getting at. No, that's what I'm getting at, too. <laughs> they, like, a character that can scare a child like that, but who isn't necessarily yeah. intended to scare children. No. Yeah. There's something yeah. really kind of magical about that. That's it means a, something, that's a it's, visceral it's emotion. Right. That visceral emotion is yeah. the result of them tapping into something. There are all these primal yeah. things that original Gonzo. Right. It, it, these nerves that he's touching. Right. And, you know, animal doesn't scare me or anything like that or any, yeah. you know, but, but there is something about Gonzo's. It's not even the whateverness. It's the, it's the, when you were talking about Gonzo and the chickens, it's yeah. the wild cardness of him. It's the walker, right? the wavelength thing of just like, the unpredictability. Oh, who knows what this motherfucker's going to do? Right. Have you ever so had a friend? You ever had a friend like that? Yes. I have a friend like that. He's not really me. I have a guy I grew up with. Sure. And uh, <laughs> who would do crazy things, right? Yeah. Truly, truly crazy sure. things. Yeah. Some are very bad, and I should not tell them on uh, on mm-hmm. the air. A microphone. And yeah. some are very bad, and then and then some are you know are are, are pretty uh, are pretty you know tame. Like he once yeah. just went up to the, the counter at McDonald's and ordered you know two heart attacks, a coronary, and a, and a death before I'm thirty. Mm-hmm. So he, he he's no fear like that. Sometimes the crazy things do do things like he came to my engagement party, mm-hmm. and he was a perfect gentleman, and I got his his card at the end, and inside the card. He gave me a gift. The -hmm. gift was $20. It was a 10, a five, and five ones. That to me was so, so (laughs) crazy. Like, where did you, where did you, like, it's lovely. It's sweet. You clearly put thought into this, but like, how did you come up with those denominations? But you're getting at a Gonzo thing too, which is like, I want to underline, he is chaotic good. You know, right. That's what I'm saying about my friend. Yeah. Constructive, you know, Gonzo is very supportive. He is very genuine. He yeah. tries to be transparent. Like one of the things I love about Gonzo is he's always trying to explain what he's doing or what he's thinking as if it's natural. It just doesn't make sense to us. There's yeah. nothing devious about him. There's nothing withholding about him. And this and friend was also that. a bit of a, he wasn't a, a performer as in he was a guy yeah. on stage, but he was a guy mm. who was a little odd and sure. he, he, desperately wanted everybody to love him and think he's funny. And sometimes it manifests yeah. itself in really kind of dangerous ways. And sometimes in really kind of funny ways and sometimes in really sweet ways. So I feel Gonzo. Um, Fozzie reminds me um, kind of of my dad and he's not my dad. He's nothing like my dad, but there is this kind of like, yeah, you just want to like kind of give him a hug yeah. and he just yeah, yeah he wants your approval and you know what he's working so hard for it he deserves it and there's there's something very very um reassuring and comforting about yes. Fozzie Bear. I agree with that. Um my number one is kind of I mean I hate to say it but it feels obvious but it is Kermit. Um and and for me so I, I mentioned this to Kenny when I was a kid I had a Kermit doll I guess he was probably about this big I don't know he wasn't that but uh, he was like felt he was a stuffed animal, mm-hmm. basically, version of him. And when I was younger, I would sleep with Kermit. And like Kermit just has this. I have such a like calmness when I look at Kermit. He just makes me feel better yeah. about the world. Um, he just seems like a guy who's he's doing his best and he's going to do the best he can to make the world a better place. Yeah. 
And I, I just, I, you can't ask for anything. That's a great take. Uh, my number one is, is the Muppet I had a doll of that I would sleep uh, with under my arm. Uh, and it's also, mm-hmm. as you said, I think it is still to this day maybe the best depiction in any scripted media of how the comedian mind works and what makes them tick. And it, I would say Fozzie is single-handedly the reason I went into comedy. Like, Bobby was an <laughs> wow. activator in comedy. I understood how jokes were told by watching The Muppet Show, where you hear him try to write bits, and then you see him perform them on stage, yeah, and then you see yeah. them go wrong, yeah. which makes you think about the construction of jokes and what is yeah. or isn't being communicated and how he fucked up the performance. And then you add on the jokes on top of that, Statler and Waldorf, like, bagging on him. Uh, Fozzie's like my my north star. He's like everything. Yeah, yeah. I think he's the best. He's he's fantastic. Um, Mine mine is Kermit as well. And there's there's just he's great. He's great. I I I am very drawn to home run swings. Mm. Um, home run swings, and I think you know this fill over the course of the podcast. But but whether or not they go over the fence. Or they're just a wild strike. I love the idea of a home run swing, and I consider her Kermit to be a home run swing because to put a re, such a reserved, obs, observational and observant, um, slyly funny, slyly sarcastic character, but totally competent at the mm. center, and 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 and. and, and um, and 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 has that like that like uh, coach quality to him, but also Evan Best this... is always on the verge of a mental breakdown. <laughs> As is, you know, I mean, I think the yeah, idea, I, I right. think the idea at the end of the day is right. He is a director, right? right? Yes, he is a director, and the best directors are able to somehow push off that mental breakdown, yes. which is inevitable. When and you were juggling what you have to juggle. Everyone juggle. on their own level and somehow just keep the chaos at bay, barely. Yep. Yeah. And yep. that yep. is such a bold home run swing to me. The, like, as wonderful and incredible as Bugs Bunny is, and he's incredible, a little mm. fucking obvious, right? Just a little bit. And he yeah. they nailed it. And don't get me wrong. He's they nailed it. He, he, yeah. Yeah. Bugs Bunny is the platonic ideal of the center of this kind of comic comedy troupe. More power to it. But, to but he's put not a, a leader. Kermit's a leader. Put, put, to, put a sub, to put an understated character in that, you know who he reminds me of in a weird way? Or I guess who reminds me of him is Jon Stewart on The Daily Show. Yeah. Like that, that you have all these crazy, wacky characters around him playing characters. They're all kind of doing bits and playing characters. And he is holding this whole thing together and being incredibly funny while doing it, but while always giving the, sh- the shine to the other people. It's I think it's one of the reasons move. Kermit has not been able to connect after Henson died. And I, I generally like what Whitmire did with him for most of the run. And I like uh, uh, Matt Vogel, who's playing Kermit now. But the problem is that Kermit really was Henson's alter ego. And everything you're saying is... Those are the roles that Henson played in relation to everyone else who worked on the Muppets. Like that character, the reason why a character who in so many ways is kind of passive, is kind of neutral, is competent, you know, isn't wacky, was that engaging was because it was so honest. It wasn't manufactured. 
it was like Kermit was him speaking honestly to the audience. And for a guy who was famously somewhat reserved, even with his family, was not very open with his emotions. It felt like Kermit was the one time he was like fully letting loose everything he felt. You know, it, it, prob- it would yeah, probably it's... be an uncomfortable thing for another puppeteer, another actor to step into that role. Yeah. And mm-hmm. try to embody it in the way you would need to embody that character to make it but work. also whoever's playing that role is not off stage embodying that role in the same way that henson was it was working on two levels like the other characters were to kermit what the other performers were to jim mm-hmm. henson and vice versa and yeah. that's not going to be replicated again no and, and what and what happens so- what happens because of what you're saying is he just turns into a boring aimless bland bland character and i think that's why you know the choice of kermit as your favorite muppet seems like you don't really love the muppets but Mm. i uh and i I don't think you you would think this at all griffin but just in general i i think it's that that's the character i want kermit's the one who gets me kermit's the one who gets me excited in the i i don't really care much about the two adaptations but before that those first three movies and the shows uh that's what yeah. i want the, like, the and it's not a big part of either of those movies i mean yeah. i think they to their credit knew after henson died we cannot put him at the center without that guy performing him the character yeah. just doesn't connect in the same way mm-hmm. so um are you cool to rate this movie griffin if i don't know if you remember our rating system but i'll, I'll walk you through it real quick but basically we Kenny and I didn't see this movie in 99, so you can give okay. us your rating of it in 99, and then we'll give our ratings of it before the podcast and after the podcast, because yeah. speaking for myself, this podcast definitely changed my rating of this yeah. movie. Okay. Um, so do you want to give your rating and say what you thought it was in 99? I'm trying to, uh, yeah. Zero to 99, that is? Uh, from zero to 99. I think Correct. in the year 1999, I probably would have given this movie like a, a 70 or a 72. I think I went into it debating whether or not I still want to see a Muppet movie. I laughed throughout most of it. I felt like this feels like it's still borderline cool for me to like, but it soured pretty quickly in my mind without even having to rewatch it. I I think now I give this movie probably about a, a, on a scale of 99. I, I think I would give it like a, like a 21. And, and most of those points yeah. are for like individual micro moments or just the movie having Muppets in it automatically is 10 points, you know, yeah. like that's an automatic 10 for me. So it's almost like they're getting a lot of those points just for writing their name on the SAT test. <laughs> but I think it's, it's a 20s movie for me. Maybe if it's a little higher, it's 25, 26, but it's in that range. Yeah. Let me go next, Phil. I would say the next because I, I, yeah, I yeah, haven't yeah, changed much, and I'm interested to hear how much you've changed and in what direction. Um, okay. I, uh, <laughs> I had it at a 24, mm. um, which is you know a crushing disappointment. But I expected yeah. it to be bad. Like I think everyone yeah. expect. I think everyone knows that this is not doesn't have a good reputation. Yeah. No, it doesn't. Yeah. Um, and I do think it was worse than I thought it would be. There's, there's almost no charm. Um, and so yeah, many, like, truly dreading the rewatch. It was worse than I remember. Yeah. 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 Then, there, and, and I do, may, I do wonder how much Jeffrey Tambor's recent behavior 
colors my opinion sure. of him watching it. Say, in, in 1999, yeah. I thought he was scoring. In this movie, I said, this is a breakout performance. You know, yeah. I, of course, had not seen Larry Sanders' show before. So I said, you won't believe this guy that you discovered. I got this one box here and every line's a laugh. But but yeah, so, watching this today, I found this performance very dull and humorless. And it's, it, it, yeah. current opinions of him aside, I rewatched all of Larry Sanders this year. And Personal Life Be Damned, that's still a good performance. This is and not a, a very engaging performance. That and and Arrested sure. Development. I mean, and yeah. Transparent. I mean, like, like you can't say he's not a talented guy, but there's there's something about his on-screen yeah. presence after, you know, what's come out about him has come out that really does kind of turn your, turn your stomach a little bit. So, But the, the, the bully elements come to the yeah. forefront, yes. Particularly with this role, right? Particularly and, with this role. And, uh, yeah, he's... I don't know. There's there's something about there's something about Tambor that if you don't want to like him, he's pretty easy not to like. Agreed. So uh, let's let's. I'm basically I was 24. I got a little angrier at this movie than I expected, and when I get angry, you're giving it a Jack Bauer. Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go down to an 18. We're gonna. I don't want this wow, to be like. Woo! I don't want this to be super low on my <laughs> yeah. on my rankings. I've gone lower, mm-hmm. but but it is as bad of of, of a movie as. as as we've done outside of the, you know, the straight up incompetence. And I'll say know? this too. It's a movie that yeah. irritates me. Like it's a movie yeah. where it's several moments <laughs> like, oh, you know, which it's like, yeah. there are bad movies that I can watch and intellectually go, this is not good, but I don't feel the same level of frustration while watching them. This is a movie that like is unpleasant yeah. for me to rewatch largely. That's right. Yeah. It's, um, it was an unpleasant. Yeah, I, and I watched it with two of my kids, both of yeah. whom uh, not despised into it. it. <laughs> and there you know throwing tomatoes at the screen here, it's here, that here, and real fast on on the muppets real the 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 yeah you got it this is the, pretty funny yeah so griffin i'm you could hear them shitting know, on the muppets right my, now is my three-year-old who who is not yet uh, yet into the muppets who's he telling the me the plot he is rudderless he's been, he's, been, <laughs> he's, been in, he's been in this he's been in this room with me this whole time being very calm on the phone but now he needs help so the um the uh i have four kids i don't know if you know that podcast wow. um, two two of that yeah that's right two of them are eight uh eight-year-old twins and one of them's walking in the room right now maybe she should give us our take her take um but what happened with my children and the muppets was i was desperately trying to get them into the muppets specifically yeah. because the muppets exhibit was opening up at the skirt yes. yeah. yeah and i desperately wanted to go to that and i cannot get two to three hours out of my day to do something for myself but i could easily get, get two to three hours of my day sure. to take the kids there I'm not mm-hmm. going to take the kids there unless they go kicking and screaming. I'm not going to take the kids there kicking and screaming. I'd rather have them go and get excited. So we watched okay. the first three Muppet movies, and I think they liked it. Layla, would you say you liked the first three Muppet movies? Lukewarm. She's giving me a lukewarm look. Um, but enough <laughs> come see, come enough stop. to get them to stand in a two-hour line with me at the Skirball to go see the sure. Muppet exhibit, which they <laughs> fucking hated. Sorry, she's yeah. in the room. It was so it, they hated it so much that it yeah. soured them on the Muppets for two wow. years. Do they like yeah, museums? Is it just they? Uh, they love museums. What was it about the Muppet? What was it here? Go ahead, Lila. What was it about the Muppet Museum that you didn't like? <laughs> it was like for babies. It like wow. it wasn't like a museum. It was like it was just like it was weird. Right? It like didn't have anything like that was cool. It just had like 
pictures. <laughs> not anything. Not <laughs> fun. I I I, I liked it because I'm like a baby, which Layla knows. Yeah, I but uh, to most of my interests. I, I, I could see she was talking. You were like holding onto your your gut. So so this yeah, was, I'm unfortunately not, I'm not gonna yell at your daughter, Kenny, but I'm <laughs> unfortunately uh, the, the next foray back into the Muppets uh, was sure. um was this movie, which which did yeah, not go uh, over that well. No, absolutely not. So uh, I'll just, I'll quickly, I, I didn't hate this movie as much as you guys coming into this podcast. I gave it a 40. That's not good, obviously, but it's still oh, not it's as not bad, bad as you guys. I'm now, da- I'm down to a 29 having yeah. been through this podcast with you guys because it just feels as though uh, I gave it a little bit more credit than it probably deserved. There was some stuff in there that I liked a little bit more than others. And as you said, Griffin, it's the Muppets and it's hard to hate a Muppet movie. Yeah. Like, really hate it um but that's what, and in my mind my mind's like going in for this rewatch not having seen him probably close to 20 years i was yep. telling myself i bet it's not as bad as i remember i bet i'm gonna give it somewhere yep. in the 40s or 50s you know yep. my yep. idea was maybe yep. it's quietly a gentleman's six it's yep. not up to the standard of the but other who one knows. but this is um so uh <laughs> It's not a good no. movie. So um, I'll, I'll, I'll just two quick things before we let you go, Griffin. The first is uh, you're going to come back and we're going to do another episode with you on what I believe is the most Griffin thing we I could possibly so. do, which is which is a, a uh, I guess you would say a supersized um, uh, merchandise spotlight on the movie tie-in toys and perhaps even some I food. I want to talk some food tie-ins. Uh, this is and so some fast food tie-ins. Yeah. I'm really excited for this. Uh, so you're going to come back, and we're going to we're going to record that episode. Um, but what we're what we're going to air next week, I also want to hear your thoughts on, which is we're 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 doing an episode with uh, Dana Schwartz. We're doing a great Dana Schwartz. So that's one of my favorite. Movies the, the great Dana I, I, I that's sort of where I want to I want to sort of ask a your thoughts on on election, and also I b like I from one to. The great, yeah. Um, is is the Alexander Payne of it all too? Like, do you think he's a guy that you guys would ever do? Uh, do I've on, thought about it, and I will say, uh, I don't know why, but like week one of quarantine, I just dove headfirst into doing a little personal pain marathon. I don't know what spurred it even, but I watched most of them uh, over the course of a couple days. I really like him. I yeah. find him really interesting. I feel like I am a, one of the preeminent. Uh, downsizing defenders in North America. <laughs> you might be. I, I you really might be. go to the mat for that movie. You, are you, uh, are you a real paniac? I'm a, I think I'm a... Like, I haven't really processed how much of a paniac I think I am. There are a couple I've yet to revisit, but I saw Election about a year ago uh, in a theater. It was playing here in, in New York City. And, oh, and cool. I just think that's a perfect movie. And I think it's one of those movies that just inexplicably only ages better and better and better. Like it's one of those films like RoboCop for me, where somehow every time you watch it, you go, well, now it's more relevant than ever. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy watching it now, how relevant it is. And then you watch it five years later and you're like, I mean, I thought it was relevant five years ago. The answer is that uh, our society keeps on getting worse and worse. That's right. (laughs) Yes. Well, I mean, after the 2016 election, the movie election became just, 
Paramount, you know, just this. Yes. Um, yeah, and no, it's a Paramount no picture. Pun. Yes. But uh, I think yeah. it's a great movie. I think it's a perfect film. Uh, there'll be a burn burner for an episode. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm super election excited. is the is the highest movie I had that we'll be doing thus far. It was number three wow. in my yes. on my I was getting a say, podcast I, list. I think it's either my two or three. It's probably my two. So it's it's a near perfect movie. I can't wait to to crack open my Criterion, which I own but have not yeah. watched specifically, waiting for us to do it. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's you know I just rewatched actually the other day Pleasantville, which. I really love yeah. and actually holds up incredibly well. And Reese Witherspoon in Pleasantville, yeah. into Cruel Intentions, into Election, is just a it's a it's a murderer's row. It's a it's a great it's a great trick. Thomas Anderson, Reese Witherspoon's the business. Yeah. <laughs> she's the she's business. The uh, she's great. I can't wait to talk about it. Um, but again, Griffin, thank you for for talking with us about Muppets for I don't even know how long I we've talked two about hours, at this right? point. Um, uh, more than more two than hours. That. I just time. Uh, well, thank you. It was a um, pleasure. I'll take any excuse I can to talk Muppets, and I, I look forward to doing the uh, merchandise episode, which we are originally going to do back after this. But I appreciate correct. having a little time to reset, and do more <laughs> reset, and, and also give the Muppets the time and they deserve, and they deserve a very all the time. serious episode. The merchandise. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Well, thank you again for, for being on here, Griffin. If you don't mind. Podcast like it's 1999. Podcast like it. You wanna podcast like it? Podcast like it's 1999. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999. Podcast like it. You wanna podcast like it's 1999. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.